0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 242nd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that still stands, as should we all, with the movement to end racial injustice and defund police services in favor of more effective options. We'd also like to see some fair and free elections down there in the U.S. uh, this fall, so do uh, get out there and vote. mtg fast finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of magic the gathering finance collection management and speculation i'm your host james chilcott aka at mtg critic on twitter my co-host this week is travis allen aka at wizard Mumpen on twitter and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game magic the gathering
1: good evening james good evening everybody glad to be here and looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG
0: Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff and stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code Finance Five during checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save five percent off your order and support this podcast. Travis, you know what I did after work and before I was prepping
1: for the podcast? Uh, Did you open a bunch of magic cards? Yeah, I did. How'd you know? Because I saw you posting about it in the Discord.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we have have rules in the Discord that we have a very specific channel that was set up called Sealed Cracking Results that is meant to contain all the fools that uh, crack sealed product when they should be flipping it in one uh, relatively benign location. Um, but I cracked some German Zendikar collector boosters this afternoon, and the pulls were so hot, I, uh, I crossed crossed the streams as it were, and uh, dropped some pictures of foil German Scalding Tarn and Misty Rainforest into the uh, Specs Channel.
1: Those were
0: exciting-looking
1: cards. Probably not going to be too many of those floating around. I
0: looked on um, TCG Player and eBay, and there's basically zero. Um, I would certainly rather be opening Japanese boxes because I think everybody can agree that of the multiple... I think there's four languages this time. I want to say it's French. I have to double-check this, but I think it's French, German, Chinese, Japanese, and English this time. I might I might be wrong on one of those. Um, I think everybody can agree that Japanese is the, uh, the big winner there. But Japanese collector booster boxes have been sitting pretty high i think the lowest offer we got on them was 245 us or something and at this point it's tough to find them anywhere online lower than 280 and your average is probably closer to 300 so to get german boxes at the same price as english down near 200 and then crack things i got, I got like a foil omnath which must have about
1: 90 letters in it
0: mm-hmm. in german
1: and I, uh, the text on that looked real small it was like size seven five <laughs>
0: Yeah, some a, a pro trader literally approached me after and said, "I like cards with long names. Can right. I get a quote on that, please?" It sounds like you just sold it. Well, I I, I think it's a gainer. I, I don't I don't think you're supposed to be selling omnaths right now necessarily. I'm, I'm
1: talking about the eBay notification that just went off.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> I just I just muted that. They they do tend to go off relatively often. So, uh, yeah, scourge of the of the. Uh, Death Shadow Deck Scourge of the Conclaves? Skyclaves? Whatever it is. Uh the Black Death Shadow Compatriot. Uh S- Skyclave Apparition. Omnath, Felidar Retreat, uh the Pathways. Um uh, Lithoform Engine is pretty cool in German Foil Extended Art. Got a Thieving Skydiver Foil German extended art. Some cool stuff. Uh, should be a pretty solid mix of you know recouping eighty percent of my case costs pretty quickly, fifteen or twenty card sales I would imagine, and then being able to keep the rest to absorb into EDH decks and whatnot.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's that's cool stuff to put in the EDH decks. I think
0: like you pull stuff like a foil. A, I got a place at a foiled German uh, whatever the new hedron crab is, and those are going to see play for years and years.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure.
0: Alrighty, how things are on your end this week?
1: Uh, good. They're going great. Keep New kid, keeping me very busy. So, uh... H- have you been peed on yet? Yeah, a little bit. My wife's gotten the brunt of it. It's been pretty good. It's been pretty good. Uh, yeah, whatever. I mean, we have dogs. We've had dogs for years. So we're used to
0: <laughs> not the first time you've had some another creatures urine on you.
1: I, I mean, on the whole, my dogs are much grosser, especially even you know, the the incident that stands out in memory was that took them out at night. And if you have dogs, you know, you when they're doing something, they're not supposed to. You can see it instantly and they know, too. So I had one and he he had this look on his face and I'm like, what have you got? And so I went over and I'm afraid he's got a rock in his mouth and he's going to swallow it. And this dog is small and he's real stupid. So I don't want to go to the vet. So I, you know, pretty aggressively grab his collar and then shove my hand in his mouth to keep him from swallowing it and pull it out. And I can't see what I'm holding. So I pull my phone out and turn the flashlight on. And it's a chunk of poop that he had picked up that was rolled around in his mouth and is now wet and is now smeared all over my hand. So this has now happened like three times so at this point the kid peeing a little bit is like whatever plus if they're all they're having is breast milk then it's like that stuff like washes out in sunlight basically so it's whatever and he's adorable so all that's all good and other than that i am just trying to find spare minutes here and there to try playing through uh, alex in vr because i stole my friend's vr headset i've been giving it a shot and it's oh nice how are you liking that uh, it's very cool i'm a huge half-life fan uh, so I'm enjoying it on that front. The VR aspect is very nifty, although I have to be honest, it is a little less compelling than I expected it to be. Okay. In what but, sense? Well, like, I kind of figured it was going to be a real... I don't want to say, like, a really big deal, but, like, to really elevate the game experience. Like, to, to, have a, to be very novel... And like, wow, this doesn't feel like I'm playing the same game, basically. And it felt, I think it felt like that when I first tried it. And I think most people will probably get that experience. They'll put that headset on and like play, you know, whatever game and be like, wow, this is like awesome. And it is. But then, like, when you're actually playing through the game, you're like, this game is really good. But is the experience of playing it in VR like that much different than if I had just been sitting in front of my computer playing it? Yeah. I have to say the answer is no, and not in any significant amount, certainly not for the cost of those things. I mean, the Valve Index is a grand, and that's, that does not, that's not the computer. That's just the headset.
0: A buddy of mine that uh, works with us through the agency that used to freelance for us, um, it's a pretty cool visual artist uh, outside of his work life. He's been showing me some of the projects he's working on where he's trying to merge uh, virtual environments into Twitch streams in interesting ways. So he's like he has like a cat avatar who talks uh, and whose facial expressions mirror his own based on facial tracking that he's using. Yeah, yeah. that's a whole
1: thing on Twitch, I think.
0: Yeah, and then he's he's got a thing hooked up so he can play the new I think Star Wars Squadrons or whatever. Yes, It's um, like a VR big VR game right now, and uh, he's got his whole setup, and has like external cameras to show him like using the whole rig to play it, and then also like allowing people to like move their I think look around like over his shoulder and stuff hmm. um,
1: from their viewpoint. it's, it's pretty sweet. There's some cool stuff you can set up with that for sure. Um, You know, if you really get into it, it's overall it's cool. I'm enjoying it, Uh, and I, you know, if you have the opportunity, it's really cool to check out. But it's hard. I can't tell you that it's worth spending a huge chunk of money on getting into it. Um, But maybe it'll improve. It's also possible. You know, I'm using a Rift S, which is a little older of a model, and maybe the newer models improve it a good bit. I'm not sure. sure. I will tell you, it is kind of weird. I, don't, I I'm, We're probably getting pretty far off track, but when you play the first, like any of the, well, they're pretty much all first person. The, the way you move is you throw your character. You know what I'm talking about? Have you seen this? Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah,
1: yeah. like you don't, your character generally doesn't walk. You like pl- you point the cursor and then you teleport to that spot. Right. Like, that's, that's yeah. Yeah. That's how it tends to move. I did find one game that let you like, walk forward, like you hold the stick forward and you move. And I I think it took less than a second before the nausea hit. I mean it was like a switch. Like I oh, wow. push forward on the joystick and like my stomach flipped. I'm like, oh my God. Like <laughs> that is I'm like, I don't know if this is because I'm 35 and like I'm more sensitive to this stuff, but damn, I'm gonna have to start taking dramamine if I'm gonna play any of this.
0: One of the things that I distinctly remember uh, from my 20s was we had an opportunity. There was some uh, big sales reward at the telecom company I was working for at the time um, in the marketing department. Uh, We sat down the hall from the sales department. Long story short, a guy in the sales department wins a chance to go fly actual stunt jets um, as some big sales reward, like top five salespeople in the country get to go on this thing. And he, he traded it to me for some magic cards or something because he was scared crapless of going in these planes. Uh, scared of heights, scared of planes, scared of flying. <laughs> it was like the last... And, and I guess the season before that, they had gotten to go race like NASCAR cars and he would have been super into it. So I felt bad for the guy, but we, we did our little trade, nerd gear for uh, some adrenaline. And I went to the, fly these stunt planes and I remember distinctly being in them and, and being subject to serious G-forces for the first time and being like, holy shit. Now, VR is going to be brutal for people, <laughs> like, when it gets this advanced, it you get to the point where your perspective is flipping that fast. People are going to not feel okay. Yeah, it is. It is because, intense because you know, like ten years from now, headsets will have like pressure sensors and stuff that can actually make you feel as though the inv- the physical environment is impact is affecting you. You know, th- there'll be things to make you feel heat. Like there'll be things to make you feel. You know, people will be setting up whole rooms in their basement that are like tricked out like the 5D
1: theaters that they were experimenting with in Toronto before COVID. I mean, you basically already need a room for it, given how much space it takes up. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know about like heat and stuff like that. That feels a little like smell-o-vision in movie theaters to me. Um, but I think that where you'll probably, you know, 10 years from now, there'll be extraordinarily high resolution um they'll fit on your face very seamlessly so it's not uncomfortable you'll kind of forget you're wearing a helmet or wearing a visor type of thing be much more immersive like I can kind of see the very very edges of the headset a little bit um but yeah man this stuff gets you uh it, it is intense but it's really cool it is really cool but it's it's it it, it, it doesn't it's matter not for how, everybody yeah and like it doesn't matter how much you want it to be for you it might not be anyways. And I say this is somebody who used to really like roller coasters, and then I think my wife and I were like 26, and we went to a theme park with, uh, which for a kid she was helping babysit, and we went on one roller coaster and looked at each other and went, oh my god. Appar- <laughs> apparently we got old, because it was like 25 and it was hitting us, when we were totally fine at 20. That's funny. Yeah. All right, so what's on the agenda this week? I hear we have a new segment. We do. Heaven, heaven forbid. We do. First time in a long time, we're going to try a new segment. Uh, we'll see how it goes. But we're going to start off with the MTGO Metagame Week in review. It looks like you have four events here. Yeah, I've been were- trying to keep on top of the
0: shifting meta online. It's probably the most interesting it's been in quite some time, to be honest, um, which is leading me to do a little, go a little deeper with the research.
1: Uh, sure, so there you go. There's segment one. Segment two, we're done with segment one. That was it. That was a whole discussion. Segment two Our top paper movers. Cards that moved in paper the most this week. Uh, are Then followed by our top MTGO movers. Segment three are paper cards to watch. You guys are familiar with that. Segment four, uh, this is a new one here. Get ready. its We're going to call it Collector's Corner. Um, and this is going to be cards who, or not necessarily cards. It's going to be objects that may or may not be cards within the magic sphere that might be cool from a collector's perspective that you might want to think about picking up. So cards, playmats, you know, Jace minted coins from the New Zealand treasury (laughs) stuff, stuff along those lines. Uh, I guess that would probably be a good one to highlight to not collect, but, um, so, we're going to give that a shot this week, see if it's the type of content people like. And then finally, segment five uh, our show is bad now. Coincidentally, this time we released a new segment. So, you guys, we're just going to <laughs> tell you guys that our show is bad. Uh, and there you go. So, this MTGO Metagame Week can Review uh, looks like we at got two Pioneer Challenges and two Modern Challenges. And I'm trying to make sense of what you've written down in your formatting, and I feel lost. So, perhaps you should uh, lead the way here. Sure.
0: So basically, there's two challenges, one from uh, October 17th and one from the 18th. We're recording this on the 20th. And um, in the first modern challenge on the 17th, it was won by what I'm calling Death and Taxes Combo, which is a bad name, but it's about as close as you can get to under fully understanding this deck. This is basically a white weenie deck with some Death and Taxes style elements. It has... Uh, Two Grand Abolisher in the main, it has four Giver of Runes, it has four Oriok Champion in the main, but it's also got the four times Heliod, four times Walking Ballista combo in the deck, and there's uh, some Value Engines, there's four Ranger Captain of Eos at Modern Horizons, there's two Ranger of Eos, and these are presumably to go get the Walking Ballistas so that you can combo off. Uh, you, You can also use them to go get a Giver of Runes, I suppose. Um, since uh, that's also a one-drop in the deck. And then, of course, there's four other vials and 23 lands. This is... You know, I, I color-code these in our sheet, you know, what is fresh and interesting and what is, you know, stuff we've seen before. And I definitely, definitely color this as interesting. You don't see White Weenie
1: uh, win a modern tournament very often. I will. I think that we saw White Weenie with Halyard and Walking Ballista showing up in modern not that... or Pioneer a couple times, right? So this doesn't feel... Like, too much of a departure from what we've been able to expect out of the deck in the past.
0: Yeah, there was uh, none of this action in Pioneer Modern Showcase Challenges or the Champs Qualifier that we looked at last week.
1: Yeah, it wasn't. But
0: the week before that, there was a mono white humans build in the Pioneer Showcase Challenge that also ran three general Kudrow. And it was basically taking whatever elements from modern humans they could adapt and rolling back into Pioneer. This is a little different. This is more of a, you know, elements of a couple of different modern decks. Um, The Heliod walking Ballista thing is from the green white creature combo decks that we've seen for better part of the year. And then some of this other stuff is from Eldrazi and Taxes slash Death and Taxes builds. Um, I've never seen them in this particular convert, uh, configuration before.
1: Well, it is, it is a cool deck, that's for sure. Um, and just goes to show that this format is pretty open right now. Yeah. So, I mean,
0: next on the list is no huge surprise. We talked about this one last week. This is the Oops All Spells build that's running 17 mythic uh, DFC flip lands.
2: Whew.
0: again po- point out that a deck that needs 17 mythics from the same set is a pretty big deal in modern you don't see that every day and yeah. from this s- one has
1: same set like from the most recent set too like if a modern yeah. deck shows up running 17 mythics from the most recent set you kind of gotta wonder <laughs> is that is that a
0: mechanic that might be broken yeah and and the question with these is Will it be limited to these decks? Because I can see these decks being the kind of thing that doesn't appeal to your average modern player necessarily. And if it gets so good that it starts dominating tournaments when we get back to paper, or dominates the online meta for an extended period of time, and it might catch a ban. Um, you know, it's the it, this is a tricky one because I I believe based on the evidence I've seen so far that these flip mythics are massive value engines for for Zendikar Rising and are likely to make collector boosters from this set even better than they already are, given that they come with, on average, four expeditions, two foil, two non-foil. And having open boxes today where, you you know, every once in a while you pull a Misty Rainforest and cover a big chunk of the box, it's not going to take, you know, much more play than these are already seeing to ensure that once Endicard Rising is out of print, and it becomes harder to find boxes in two or three years, if they don't reprint some of this stuff in a hurry, it's going to get real expensive.
1: Well, yeah, those Mythic Dual Flips for sure have uh, a real risk attached to them. And that's that's tough if you're Wizards because on the one hand, you might be like, well, this is... Uh, you're looking at this now and going, well, crap, do we have to plan to put these back into a pro- pro- uh, product in a year and a half from now? And maybe we do when we kind of make a point of getting them into the pipeline so that these things don't hit, you know, 50 or $60 a piece. But then perhaps it all just boils over and goes nowhere. And then you've dedicated this massive print slot to a product 12 months away. Uh, and it turns out the cards that you put in the value slot are a dollar.
0: One relevant worry would be that they will flag these five cards as a perfect higher cost secret layer release. You know what I'm saying? Fresh art on these, whatever theme they pick. It could be any random old theme because they'll do anything. Um, and five of them in a box and charge $99.99 like a year out from now or two years out from now. You'd probably be doing, they'd probably get away with it.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm inclined to agree with that, that they could print these in a secret layer. And I mentioned that before. You gave me shit for it. Well, they're not going to print it in a
0: secret layer right now. But somewhere down the road they certainly could.
1: I wonder about the time frame I wonder if they will secret layer standard cards. There's no way they're gonna secret layer like
0: five of the 20 mythics from the like just printed set right away. The secret layer stuff for the rest of like the next six months has probably been already laid out. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, they need they need lead time for this stuff. and it's just but- it's just bad form to put a bunch of random additional copies of something out through that channel
1: oh yeah i'm real uh really respect wizards on that front <laughs> come on uh, well, they, but
0: they just they just don't need to like people keep like saying stuff like that like oh my god wizards are so frantically flailing around trying to put stuff in like it's not like that secret layer has thousands literally thousands of options there's so much stuff they can do like I, th- this week's theme <laughs> for the latest most the latest in it announced uh set is a um parents and children themed random assortment of cards and it's going to benefit a charity well so yeah you can, you can do anything
1: my point was to say oh it's bad form means nothing when we're talking about wizards at this point we've we've crossed the bad form line a while ago i think uh well no but i i, I disagree I, I wizards still has
0: a very i i think i disagree very strongly Wizards has a, a keen sense of what they are supposed to be doing. That doesn't mean they're not going to make mistakes. but they, in terms of product management, they a lot of the time the stuff that they catch shit for, they don't see coming because they don't think outside the box of the product management team. From their perspective, the things they're doing make, make a lot of sense. So for instance, like The Walking Dead, to them that just seemed like such an obvious slam dunk. it's a huge property. They own it may as well leverage it there's zombies in the property there's zombies in the game this is going to work really well they didn't see the the two-pronged problem of a there's a rapist in our set and b there's um uh there's going to be a perception that we're going to do this all the time that we're going to print
1: mechanically unique cards that people can't get access to I, i could not disagree more i think that you cannot be working in Wizards and be so insulated as to not realize people might not care for that type of product and what it means. And like there's there was even that conversation going around by um, or the, the old, was it was an article or posting or something from uh, a group of guys who had worked at Wizards who, who were talking about something similar to that. And like they said, basically, if you ever see this come from wizards and you know we like ran out of ideas and like we've given in to the greedy money grubbers at hasbro uh and it wasn't so i i i those people in wizards knew damn well what they were printing and they knew what people's reaction was going to be the the negan issue aside there's no way that those people didn't realize what react pushback they were going to get
0: no, but I'm not saying they didn't know that people would have an issue with it. I'm saying that they didn't realize how much of a problem it would become. It's, it's not easy to predict whether something will be a little bit of grumbling for a day or a major problem that catches fire and gets bad PR all over the place. Uh,
1: I, I mean, I respect that that, that hindsight is twenty twenty compared to foresight. Uh, I, I also think you're letting Wizards off the coast here way too easily.
0: Like, for, for instance, were I on that team, I would have made the same call. Not the Negan call, but I absolutely would have made the call that we can print mechanically unique cards. And when the other person at the table said, what? What are you talking about? People are going to be so pissed. I would have been like, man, who cares? This is like five cards out of tens of thousands. How can anyone, get, like bother to put any energy into complaining and somebody else at the table goes yeah but rick's gonna be totally legacy playable and i would have been like "Who gives a shit we don't care about legacy yeah
1: like, but
0: it's it's not a modern or pioneer card don't wake me up when it is like <laughs> unless we're printing cards for those formats who cares man
1: but this is so this is hinged on the fact that you still don't perceive the walking dead cards as much of a transgression as i and many other players do i i,
0: I think that the the most common argument on those has been the slippery slope thing that like, this is going to be the doorway through which they walk and then do it again and again and again. And my argument is no, they're going to do it sometimes. Wasn't it? And well, didn't and, they say in the and, article and not, that they were going to keep doing it. <laughs> no, but, but you got to understand there's a huge difference between them printing a card that is necessary in standard pioneer and modern. And one that's not, if it's not, it's it, not required in those formats who cares if it's if one of these cards is going to be popular in EDH for instance Negan mechanically is a good card in EDH if if somebody wants to play that okay so what there's no meta in EDH and as time goes on it's that's more and more true like you just randomly walk into an FNM pod of EDH players where you're playing with your friends people have got whatever decks they've got but like I've played EDH webcam six or seven times in the last two or three months, and it's been a whole new crew of people in decks every time, and it's completely unpredictable what you're going to be facing. Let's say I want to build Negan, and Negan is $38. Okay, so what? I'm building a $2,000 deck if I'm building an EDH deck. Like, if the commander is a little more expensive than I would like versus some other card I need for it, that's more... You know what I'm saying? Like, it just doesn't matter. It, the, the question will, be, will become... Like, if you're in standard, the Nexus of Fate problem was more of a problem. Because on the opening weekend, literally, at the first GP where it was a thing, no vendors had any stock. And, like, there was, like, 39 players in the room or something that needed full play sets of the card and couldn't get them. And they had to, like, it's just, that's a shit show. You've got a format where there's only four or five viable decks if you're on, thinking you're playing the Nexus of Fate deck, but you literally can't get access to copies, then yeah, that's a product failure. But if there's a commander that's a little more expensive than it would normally be, oh well. Like, if, if people, if vendors believe that the Walking Dead set is a big seller, and I bought zero, but I'm sure <laughs> plenty of vendors went deep and bought five, 10, 15, 20 units, there's gonna be tons and tons of inventory. It's not like the, the, the idea that this, that set was only available for a week. Is a non sequitur because it's not actually available for a week. Whenever it ships, whether that's three months from now or six months from now, there's going to be a flood of inventory with plenty of notice. And if you think that you want to play Negan and E.D.H., you've got six months to save up the money to buy the card. And I guarantee you that opening weekend he's going to be cheap because everybody's cracking at the same time. So I just it
1: seems very overblown to me. I uh, I you're you're looking at this and going okay, well of course. It won't be a problem because it's not relevant in modern and pioneer. And
0: well, and it not not to mention COVID, right? I mean, it, that's a whole other factor that makes most of these paper complaints like, why are we even shedding, wasting our tears?
1: But you, you're you're looking at and going, well, they're not they're not good, they can't be played modern pioneer, and they won't be good enough anywhere else. So who cares? Except, I mean, they clearly are good enough in other formats. And that can matter. And you're giving Wizards a lot of credit for getting that power level right. But, like, the development team has put out a lot of pretty big misses lately. So it's not surprising, not a stretch at all, to imagine them missing real hard on this as well. Like, they put, they put out... Zach Hill and Ari Lact were talking today about, like, it blows their minds to look at companions. Because they're like... Companions were so busted that they added three mana to them, and they're still semi playable. So they missed by three mana. Name another spell that is three <laughs> mana cheaper yeah. than it should be. So the idea that uh, these cards are like, eh, you know, they can't be that good is is crazy. Like they definitely could be. Like, and we saw Glenn won a five out of vintage league. Um, humans were doing well in legacy like they've had some relevancy and yeah they don't matter in standard modern or pioneer so the impact is limited but there's a lot going on there even if it's just the optics right
0: okay but i'm not i don't think i'm making my point clear i i'm saying that even if all five cards are playable in, in legacy and vintage again who cares they're playable and they're available It's not like Wizard said, you can buy them this one day of the year, and after that we have magically gotten the gods involved, and no one else will ever be able to exchange a copy. That would be a problem. A a product that was pre-sold one week, doesn't get delivered for months, and then has a massive opening weekend dump where they get super cheap, gives everybody in the world all the time they could ever want or need to prepare for that sale. (laughs) You... I don't know what more you can expect of a of a product company other than they give you a six month head start on something, they that is going to be you know sub twenty dollars when it comes out. Like who legacy decks include six hundred dollar dual lands. Who
1: cares if Glenn is twenty bucks and you need four of them? I I, I reiterate that the the actual impact of the cards and the costs associated is only a component of the discussion, but we are at risk of running through the entire episode on this. Yeah.
0: Topic. yeah. We, we could easily, it, it's clear we could go back on this again. Um, so the bottom line is I don't think that you have to worry about mythic uh, DFCs getting a reprint within the year, but outside that year window, I, I would start wondering if, if they see continue to see elevated levels of play, because currently I'm seeing them pop up all over the place, and when they show up, there's tons of them. And that, to me, suggests that they're going to get drained real hard. And, it, and the ZNR product line is very strange, because there is a lot of hits in this set. Like, a lot, a lot. And everything can't be expensive at the same time. So as this next wave of you know collector boosters hits, and that's what's happening uh, last week and this week is that CBs are landing in North America and then probably in Europe in another week or two they're going to land. Um, you should see prices get pushed down pretty hard, especially heading into the holidays where we, we typically see the the usual, the normal lull from about first week of December till midway through January. You know, people are racking up consumer debt and this year more than, than ever, it's going, that's going to be problematic. So I, I wonder how, how low we can get the, you know, a turn timber symbiosis and like third week of December.
1: It, yeah. I mean, the, the lows might not be here yet. Uh, but I agree that by the time we hit late November through December, you know, Christmas time uh, you will probably have a good idea of whether these are going to stick around or not. And that will be a possibility for, might be the right time to go real deep on these. So here's the most interesting thing about this
0: incarnation of the deck this week. They're running, first of all, they have four Talisman of Re- Resilience. This is out of Modern Horizons, uh, green-black Talisman. Can't remember seeing this card show up anywhere else um, other than EDH. And they're running three Sword of the Meek.
2: Mm, but, they're not a... running,
0: but they're not running any Thopter Foundry. <laughs> I have never seen Sword of the Meek by itself huh and that so the is only curious. and the only thing they can carry it right whenever remember that the tax and sort of the make whenever a 1-1 creature enters the battlefield under your control you can attach it to it so it just basically turns a 1-1 into a 2-3 well is this deck generating any 1-1s the only ones to speak of are it's narc amoebas and they don't even run a full set they just have two of them Wh- okay
1: this is the uh which one which deck this is, is the
0: the second place deck in the Modern Challenge, uh, October seventeenth.
1: No, now 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 I have to
0: double check on this. Yeah, Th- this is a very strange deck. I, I I have to assume, and to my knowledge, like sort of the Meek has no other interactions here. So, all it does is make the two Narcomibas that pop out of your graveyard when you go off turn into two three two three flyers.
1: There's. Okay. There's two Narkamoebas. So he's putting the two Narkamoebas into play, which return the two Sword of the Meeks to the battlefield. He's also got a Salvage Titan, so he can then sacrifice the Sword of the Meeks. To re- if he fi- if he has a third artifact, he can sacrifice all those to return Salvage Titan to play. No, no, Salvage Titan only goes back to your hand. <laughs> oh uh, no, it's, you can sacrifice three artifacts rather than pay its mana cost. Sure, sure, sure. Yep. So he's got to have. So he's got a, he's got three sort
0: of the meeks, and he pulls them in and turns them into a salvage titan. Is what you're saying?
1: Yes, I. That is the impression I'm getting here. If the salvage titan was in your hand. Yeah. But. Yeah.
0: This is some tech, right? Like I would I, have
1: to take... I, it would take me a couple minutes to parse through this and see if I could put it together.
0: I am nowhere near the level of deck builder that it requires to get to these specific sets of decisions. I also thought the... There's a nexus of fate in this deck, by the way. And I also thought it was interesting that uh, there are four uh, Hagra Mauling, which of course is a flip DFC. I was pulling the, some of these out of my German boxes today and putting them aside because I had flagged it in this deck that they're running running it as a four of. Um, after they get through the Mythic DFCs, this is the one they consider to be the most useful because it kills creatures
1: occasionally when they need it to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one's kind of cool. I would have to figure it uh, out. Yeah, I, I, like, I want to f- sit and figure
0: this out, but we don't have time. I'm assuming part of it has to do with Vengevine. Like maybe the Salvage Titan coming back to your hand and then getting cast tends to put you over the uh, around the corner on Vengevine and lets them pop out.
1: That's possible too, and, and I wonder if there's. I wonder if there's a way. There's got to be something else going on here that I. But well, it, it's fine. That might be a part of it as well. I think. I think you're right. This is one of those decks I have to see in motion to
0: understand the subtlety of the interactions.
1: That can help considerably. Yeah.
0: Moving right along. Blue-Red Prowess in third. We've seen that deck uh, several times. The Omnath, four-color Omnath with Sahili Rise in fourth. Um, This deck is putting up consistent results uh, and we're seeing it, we saw it last week and we see it in both of the top eights uh, uh, this week uh, for Modern. Fifth place is uh, more of a classic dredge uh, list. Uh, Not oops all spells. Then we have uh, the most... Uh, spiciest list of the week in the modern challenge from uh, October 17th is the updated version of mill very interesting you know what's not in this list that's been there for a million years glimpse the unthinkable Mm -hmm. you know why because they switched over to maddening cacophony out of the rising a card that was so far down the list of notables in this set that i didn't even remember it existed until i saw it here This is two mana, each opponent mills eight cards. Okay. Kicker is three and a blue, so for six, each opponent mills half their library, rounded down. Sorry, rounded up. So they've got eight crabs now, of course, four hedron crab and four ruined crab is the new one. Four mismeric orbs. They run the four archive traps that are good for 13 cards apiece when your opponent cracks a fetch. Cling to Dust, Crypt Incursion, Four Drown in the Lock, Four Fatal Push, One Mission Briefing, which lets them recast uh, an Archive Trap or Maddening Cacophony. Generally, Four Surgical Extraction. That's definitely got to be a main deck reaction to all of this. These graveyard shenanigans that are going on, and uh, Four Visions of Beyond, which is the draw three cards if you have twenty or more cards in your graveyard. Yeah. Uh, this is this is. There's no breaking and entering here, and there's no glimpse the unthinkable
1: yeah i i those seem like they might have gotten outclassed at this point or at least they just they don't have enough additional utility
0: yeah so and and the maybe the the you know the cherry on top here is this is a lurus deck the only permanence in the deck are is orb and the eight crabs so they can mm-hmm. run lurus and bring the crabs back that's a nice little long-term play yeah yeah <laughs> Um, cause I've played mill before in modern and you, sometimes if you just, you don't get there, then you're just, you're on an empty hand and you're drawing off the top, hoping that the aggro deck doesn't kill you or the control deck doesn't set up to take over the game. And you often end up on the wrong side of that. I, I have also played that deck, <laughs> uh, and I would agree with you. Yeah. So this is, this is cool. Um, so seventh place uh, also, Omnath Control, but this one is more uh, a little different than the Sahili Combo deck. The Sahili uh, Combo is basically switched out for more Planeswalkers and more counter spells. And then Jund Shadow uh, with four Death Shadow, three Scourge of the Skyclaves. That's the name I was looking for. I always get I'm messing up with the Scourge name because Scourge of the Skyclaves and Skyclave Apparition are are tongue
1: twisters when they. Occupy the same space in my mind. Yeah, those those similar names like that for sure. And then like Scourge of the Skyclave feels like it shares a name with something else. On top of that, like another card, and it sort of builds.
0: Yeah, so we have the the in that Jund Scourge Death Shadow thing. We mentioned this last week about how they have the Lurus in the main deck because they still want to have the Street Wraiths. but Lurus is good enough to just main at this point. Yeah, uh, as as to your comment about. Uh, companion still being viable. Uh, and in fact, I, I noticed that extended art foil lurus, which I called midsummer at some point, um, to take off for whatever, somewhere between, I, I probably said 50 or 60, but in all likelihood, somewhere between 50 and 100. Um, they're drying up everywhere. And Japan's already pricing them at 100 bucks. Whew. So. Uh, yeah if you gave up on companions or panic sold your Luris Eas out of the Icoria boxes you made a mistake
1: uh, Luris shows up pretty much every week it's wild might be so, wild. we're gonna get a we're gonna get we are gonna get a companion secret layer and they're gonna <laughs> be but well, wait they're gonna be pets because it's companion so it'll be you
0: like, know what that, that's a that's a rock solid secret layer. If if I didn't think that companions had a bit of a moat around them from the bad taste in people's mouth. In the same way that we were talking about Oco Borderless Foils in the uh Discord today, how they're drying up and there's still some relatively cheap copies in Europe, and you know, is this due for a reprint at some point? I said, Are you crazy? This card came out a year ago. It's banned in multiple formats. Everybody bitched about it forever. Wizards would be nuts to draw attention to this thing again. Like, think about how they handled Jace the Mind Sculptor back in the day. They left it alone
1: for a while before they put it back in F T 20. Yeah, so it was F T 20, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't... Yeah, it's hard to say whether Companions left as bad of a taste in people's mouth. At this point, it feels like it's come up so many times that I, I, I just don't know anymore. Well, and keep, in mind, and keep in
0: mind, they came out six months ago. So again, I don't think that stuff is top of the list for Secret Lair. E- even if you look yeah. at something like Theros, right? They tend to find something that is uh, akin to. Like, we didn't get the uh, gods from Theros Beyond Death in the Secret Lair set. We got the old gods from five years ago in the Secret Lair set. And I think they will continue to do that kind of thing. Um, which is I... not to say that this this stuff won't eventually be a Secret Lair. It totally will.
1: Oh, I don't, I agree. Like, I'm not saying it's coming, you know, next month. I'm just thinking like, oh, you could do a secret layer of these. And because they're called companions, it gives you this little angle where you get to sell them as cute cats and shit because it fits thematically.
0: Yeah. So moving right along, the other modern challenge, the day after, first place was humans, pretty standard configuration, though Four Mantis Riders seems to be uh, a retro uh, adaption. Um, and they also finished in 6th and 7th, and there was General Crudros in all of those. Uh, Four-color Omnath's Healy was in second place in that one. Probably the sexiest list in this challenge was the third-place list, which was a Elves list, um, and the sexy part is the new card. So, four Tejuru Paragon. Here's another card that you might be pulling out of your uh, Zendikar Rising Collector Boosters and despairing because you think they're trash. Well, surprise, they're finishing in the top three of Modern Challenges uh, as a four of. Because this is a 3-2 Elf for two that also counts as a Cleric, Rogue, Warrior, and Wizard. Though that part doesn't really matter. What matters here is that if you kick it for five, you get to look at the top six cards your library and find the Elf piece you're missing to combo off. Mm -hmm. Looking at six is pretty solid. Especially in a deck that can generate five mana real easy.
1: Yeah, that's huge. That's a lot of cards.
0: So I'm not fond of the art on this card. Wish it was better, um, but I would put these aside. And if you're if you're playing elves, um, you're going to be playing these. So <laughs> you might as well snap them off when they're cheap.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, they're also mm-hmm. running
0: two Nyssa of Shadowed Bows, which is the uh, one of the only planeswalkers from uh, Zendikar Rising to be making an appearance anywhere. Nyssa is four loyalty, two a black and a green. Landfall, whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you put a loyalty counter on Nyssa. Plus one is untap a land you control. You may have it become a 3-3 elemental creature with haste and menace until end of turn It's still a land. And minus five is you may put a creature card with converted mana cost less than or equal to the number of lands you control onto the battlefield from your hand or graveyard with two plus one plus one counters on it. So Nissa lets you, you know, if you play her after somebody has swept your board or killed a key combo piece, you can go back and get your Azuri or your Heritage Druid or whatever out of the graveyard for... You know, just a, a matter of some loyalty off uh, Nyssa and s- start setting up again. Um, and the it, it would be great if this card saw a lot of play because the art on the Borderless is actually pretty impressive.
1: You're a fan. I like it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know if I'm familiar with it. It's got a
0: very like crazy, like Nissa in a tangle of branches.
1: What's the full trading. card name?
0: Nyssa of Shadowed Bows, Boughs. B-O-U-G-H-S.
1: Oh, this one. Yeah, this one's pretty nifty. I like that. It's uh it's a little more maximalist art style than they tend mm-hmm. to use. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, there's like no negative space on that card at all. No, there's not. <laughs> <This> <laughs> Zero. Is, yeah, this is maximalism, is a term for anyone who's curious.
0: Yep. So Fourth was is the green white titan build we've seen lots of that's for titan for dryad and for elvish reclaimer uh, so they also run a turn timber symbiosis in there uh, fifth is the green white creature combo that the white deck from the day before borrows some elements from and then sixth and seventh humans and then green white titan again in eighth so pretty diverse and interesting meta in modern like this this modern looks nothing like modern from a year ago this is like a completely different
1: set of decks yeah. It's it's almost disappointing that you no one really gets to play this in paper. And on a side note, I don't know if you caught this; uh, they shut down paper real events in uh, Europe. Europe, yeah. So things are not going to be getting any better anytime soon. Yeah, I mean humans are
0: demonstrating a. If there's aliens watching us, they are they've just made up their minds. <laughs> like they're either going to wipe us off the planet or leave. They're they're not impressed. I can tell you that much. So over in the Pioneer challenges, uh, Jeskai Planeswalkers uh, has been showing up again and again lately. In the one on the 18th, it was first, uh, fourth, uh, yeah, first and fourth. This is like Luka and Shark Typhoon and the Transmogrifies we talked about last week. Four-color Omnath also in the top eights in this format, because if it's good enough for Modern, it's probably good enough for Pioneer. Four Uro, four Omnath, three Felidar Retreat uh, notables in there. Saltime mid range has showed up here and there in pioneer in the last six months Four Uro, for traverse three shark typhoon and three Jace friends prodigy. That's a fun deck. I'd play that
1: Jace friends prodigy. Huh? Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Jessica planeswalkers. walkers uh, again, I said in fourth, fifth, five color Niv mizzet in fifth, the usual suspects five, three Niv mizzets for, uh, uh, small to fairies and three Uro. Black Aggro with Rankles and Castle wains in six. Green-Red Midrange has been around uh, week after week uh, with four Crag Crown Pathway being the notable there. And then White-Green Aura is an eight with four Branch Loft Pathway. So those two decks holding, the, holding it down for the Pathways most consistently lately.
1: That's for cool decks as well. Lots of cool stuff going on.
0: A lot of the same stuff in the next day's challenges. Sultai Reclamation, again, in first. Four-Color Omnath in second. Easily the coolest deck that I saw in these lists was uh, Sultai Graveyard Creatures. <laughs> Very bad name as well, which usually means uh, I have no idea what I'm looking at. Hmm. The This thing's really weird because if you look at it carefully, at first glance you kind of think you're looking at a dredge list. And then you realize there are no dredge dredge elements other than creatures. So this is lot for Lotlith Troll. Four Minister of Inquiries. Bet you haven't seen that played in a while. Four Prized Amalgam, four Seder Wayfinder, four Silver Smoke Ghoul, two Skyclave Shade, another hit at Azendicar Rising, seeing lots of constructed play. Four Stitcher Supplier, three Uro Titan of Nature's Wrath, four Breaking and Entering. So that was missing in the mill list in Modern, but now you got a creature based Graveyard combo list running it in Pioneer. Four Creeping Chill, because that's just free uh, drain lifes in any deck that gets to drop it into the graveyard. So all this deck's trying to do is dump a bunch of creatures in the yard and have them pop
1: back out. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of been the dredge standard for a while now. They don't really do a lot of the dredge. They don't really do dredge anymore. It's just graveyard mechanics.
0: So the other one, the creature I didn't mention here is Brocos Apex of Forever, mm-hmm. which is
1: five space godzilla
0: yeah one one of the godzilla cards if you've got one of those sitting around from your icoria collector boosters now you got a deck for it uh in pioneer because brokos lets you cast it from the graveyard using its mutate ability so for five you can drop a six six trampler on top of something else and go to town like putting that onto a lotleth troll uh that has regeneration is pretty nasty
1: the thing, like, er, like this is basically just using your graveyard as a separate hand. Yes, but it has a un- basically unlimited hand size, and you get to keep getting crap back out of it. And there is a lot of fuel for that fire. Um, so this is a type of deck I can see becoming very potent because they just get to out-resource you. Because, okay, you got a Terminator, Lightning Bolt, whatever. Hunter's going to keep casting these Uros or these, you know, whatever. Silver Smoke Ghouls or Lotless Trolls, blah, blah, blah. Well, he doesn't want to come come back. But, like, you just get to keep running that crop back until they're out of um, ammo. So that means your opponents have to play pretty heavy Graveyard Hate to keep up with you. But that's that's how you end up with uh, slightly distorted formats if it gets too good.
0: Yeah, and I, I would guess this is not about to take over the format I think, because potent graveyard graveyard hate will will do reasonably well. But one of the things that might be helping it is that the Cling to Dust, I don't think clears the entire yard, right? I think Cling to Dust only hits a few cards at a time, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Oh, I'm sure I don't know off the top of my head.
0: That's from Theros Beyond Death. Let me just take a
1: look here. Uh, exile target card. And then you can escape it to exile. Oh, but that's your graveyard. Oh, escape it to exile. Okay, yeah. yeah. Clean the dust. It's one card. Yeah. So if there's
0: a lot of clean dust running around,
1: (laughs) that's not enough against this deck. Uh, Um,
0: And it looks like they're trying to take advantage of that. So fourth was blue white spirits. Red aggro was in fifth, and then two blue black control lists. One. a little bit more on the kill and counter side of things. And another one that was a little bit more diverse with two brazen were two Seagate Stormcaller, another mythic out of, uh, Zendikar rising seeing play. Um, I said this early on when we looked at the mythics from that set that there was like five extra, right? Um, because the, the mythic DFCs, um, were off a different sheet and they added them on top of the 15 regular mythics. So there's 20 mythics in Zendikar rising. Um, and I said like 15 out of the 15 or 16 out of the 20 are probably playable in multiple mm-hmm. formats. And that's a pretty much exactly what we're seeing.
2: There we are. Um,
0: and then fourth thing in the ice caps off that list. And then green, red mid range again in eight. Yeah. So pioneer and modern look great. There are tons of cards that could potentially be pe- making people money. If, if paper magic was actually a thing, because there are a lot of fresh decks floating around.
1: Yeah, it is. It's, it's almost good for people <laughs> that this is all happening when there's no paper because it means these price, prices would be going pretty bananas on uh this crap. If there had if paper had existed
0: and the Zendikar supply chain problem had some for whatever reason existed outside of covid, wow. That would have been something else at the first couple tournaments. You would have had some really expensive mythics. Like what do you think Omnath omnat's price would be at a big gp if they had not managed to get enough supply. like only 50 percent of the supply landed on release weekend mm. ugly yeah it would have been ugly all right so top paper movers of the week try to fly through this quickly here Rotlung reanimator out of onslaught non-foils 8 to 11 bucks on the back of clerics being a thing and this card being out of print forever Ulamog the Infinite uh, Geyer out of Ultimate Master's Box Toppers, I believe. Foils going from 90 to 135. You've seen movement on this card a few times over the last couple months. It's a great EDH card a couple years out from its last reprint, and this is the most premium version available. Uh, Mana Reflection... And Platinum Angel I flagged here because they are out of Shadowmoor and Mirrodin respectfully, and their original foils are on the move. And a Reflection from 75 to 125, you know, take that with a grain of salt. It's just whatever's left listed on TCG Player. And then Platinum Angel 15 to close to 30. The, the reason these are flagged is because these are both just reprinted in, in Double Masters, and yet you see the original foil sliding up. And this is a principle that we've talked about a couple times this year where... A reprint does not necessarily injure the oldest, coolest version of the card. In fact, just putting the spotlight on it, people noticing the card more, may actually sell some copies that people have forgotten about.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is uh, well-trod territory that we uh, have seen uh, several times over. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm always reluctant to, like, tell people to go buy the original foils because you don't want to walk into accidentally getting stuck on that. But at the same time... Uh, it can be, you know, that you can have pretty good rewards on stuff like that. That it's, but I don't, I, I don't think it's universal though. We'd have to, we've been down this road before. I'd have to go through it again.
0: Well, I mean, we were also people were wondering like, what man, big mana rocks will be in Commander Legends, for instance. And it looks like you're getting an extended art foil soul ring that uses the art from the recent Commander sets. And people were talking, well, you know, does that, does that, should I, you know, rush off and sell my masterpiece soul ring? Heck no. You shouldn't worry about any other version of Soul Ring that you have. <laughs> other than, you know, maybe the Commander Legends green foil uh, version and that version will compete a little bit in the market around the same time. Because Commander Legends green comes out at the end of November and Commander Legends was, put, was pushed back uh, a couple weeks, so they're overlapping a bit. But the reality is that every single deck in Commander runs a Soul Ring. So if, if you have five six seven eight nine different premium versions but some of the older premium versions are basically sold out who cares like absolutely lots and lots of people will choose a cheaper version but you only if you're you know travis last man standing on tcg player with a foil masterpiece soul ring and one other guy you're competing against, or girl that has them listed at 600 or whatever, then you're just operating in a completely different market segment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The people who are buying 60 or $70 foil soul rings out of, you know, Commander Legends are not the people who are spending $600 on them, the Kaladesh ones. Uh, but we already know what Mono Rock we're getting from Commander Legends. We're getting, uh, was it Mono Vault? No. Mm, Grim. Not grimonolith. Grimonolith. <laughs> No, We're no grommala. <laughs> <grimonolith> at <and>
0: uncommon. <laughs> You're trying to spread that poison because you got you
1: got. You got caught out on Twitter. The thing is, is I know Carrie, right? Like I have, I I have know Carrie well enough to, you know, whenever I see something, I can look for it, but I didn't realize he had spun off a new site with a new name. (laughs) So when I saw that, I was like walking through the hallway of my office building. Like I wasn't checking the source. So just like, huh, that's kind of surprising. And hit retweet as I hopped on the elevator. And then I sat down at my desk and saw the messages. I was like, uh, fine. They, they, they got me once early
0: on. And since then, anytime I see anything that looks slightly suspicious, I just assume it's them. And a couple of yeah. times it's actually gone the other way where I'm like, oh, that can't. Like when I first saw The Walking Dead, I was like, ah, that's not real. That's probably just a, a Carrie thing. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, wait, maybe it's actually real.
2: Yeah, and, I remember. And,
1: I remember t- telling you, you would t- you're like, oh, did you see this? I'm like, I was Carrie, dude. And you're like, I don't know what that means. And I'm like,
0: Yeah. Hey. P- p- polite applause to their constant successful <laughs> trolling <Yeah>. on twitter <laughs> He's very real good at that yeah so yeah it's folks are not going to reprint your monolith like it's on the reserve list trust me they you're not about to smash the, that door down the however there are lots of other things getting reprinted in commander legends uh and we know this because <laughs> the the guy we talked about last week that sold uh a bunch of Commander Legends collector booster packs to somebody on eBay. The person that bought them just went ahead and started cracking them and posting the images all over the place. Super smart of them. And last I checked this afternoon, they all those images have been taken down and Wizards has been is in the shadows somewhere taking some form of legal action. <laughs> so we won't be talking about the specifics of the new cards on here this week. We'll, we'll be good boys and wait till wait till next week and uh the official spoilers mostly because i don't i I think the best argument for not discussing all that stuff publicly is the damage to the content creators who you know get really excited and and in some ways rely on the um preview cards they get from wizards yeah Um, it's, it's outside of that frankly i would be more than happy to discuss all of it since it's right. public, fully public now and thousands and thousands of people have seen it.
1: Yeah, I, I, I am in the same boat. Uh, I don't particularly care about Wizards, but I respect the guys who are uh, doing the work with the spoilers and trying to drive some traffic and build the community. And then the rug gets ginked out from underneath them. Um, Jason was complaining about it this week and he, he gets no sympathy, but there are other people like him who I will <laughs> sympathize with
0: i'll put it this way i haven't seen anything to freak out about in the set there are notable reprints that is par for the course at this point if your inventory is all eggs in one basket you've probably got bigger problems that we should talk about if if your inventory is all mana
1: eggs in one basket
0: yeah i mean if you end up worried by a reprint you probably there's probably something wrong with your current situation um Ideally, you want to be have a breadth of inventory that means that regularly scheduled reprints are nothing but speed bumps.
1: It, yeah, it can, they can be annoying, but they shouldn't represent a major loss to your inventory. Yeah, because
0: in most of the stuff that we've seen that, that's getting reprinted in this set is stuff people should have exited from already that, that has been peaking and is popular and sellable and you should have sold. Um. <laughs> The, there's there's one card in particular that has had not one but two judge promo versions in recent years they both were dirt cheap in europe at one point they both got expensive you've had plenty of time to sell them it should surprise no one that they're going to reprint a staple like that again and so timing is something you need to be looking at yeah good all good. right So, yeah, Uh, Man Reflection, Platinum Angel, original foils pumping. Multani, Marrow Sorcerer, non foil going like doubling from six to over $10. That's just a reserve list card. People continue to target them. Nothing to to see here. Arbor Elf foils at a World Wake, 450 to 10. It's in modern, it's in 24,000 EDH rec decks. Original foils being worth draining out to the point where they can't be replenished, especially during COVID. No big surprise. Now, this one uh, threw me for a bit of a loop. Biggest gainer in the foils world that I noticed was Hand of the Praetors out of uh, Scars of Mirrodin. Foils going from like six or seven to somewhere close to 20. It's like a single printing infect card that gives infect creatures plus one plus one. And I forget what the other part of that card
1: is. Oh, uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. I used to know this card. Hmm. gives them plus one plus one and uh, it annoys me that I cannot remember this. Let's see.
0: It's uh, It's got infect itself and whenever you cast a creature spell with infect target player gets a poison counter. Uh, that's so how it is. it's really like n- has never been constructed playable, but makes a lot of sense in infect focus EDH decks, both because those decks tend to not have all that many options. There aren't that many infect related cards out there. Um, and this is a good one that helps the deck in a couple of different ways. Now, I didn't notice whether one of the many uh, German commanders that were spoiled through the eBay snafu included something that interacted with Infect or was Infect-based, but that would not surprise me.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't know either. I didn't actually see the cards uh, entirely, so I'm not sure either. But, well, I, I take that back. I would be a little surprised if they had Infect in there. Because aren't you supposed to be able to draft this format? Yeah, but this format
0: so this, this draft. Yeah, but like in parentheses, the, the, this is going to be such a weird, crazy format. The, it's going to be closer I, to battle, like two-headed giant battle bond,
1: than anything else. Yeah, it'll be wacky. But like, if you put a single card in there with In Fact, it becomes absolutely unplayable unless you print at least several other In Fact cards. And that was like the whole the whole thing with In Fact at the time was. You know, how do you have... It was uh, parasitic for the format. Well, the limited for instance, we know that there's like, a,
0: there's like a Pirates sub-theme in the set. Yeah. So they could easily have Pirates as one of the sub-themes and In
1: Fact as another one. I mean, they could. I guess I just wouldn't expect it. I, again, they might. I just wouldn't be at the top <clears throat> of my list of mechanics to put in a draftable EDH set. I,
0: I've read through all the German translations, but I mostly just noted them as... Like parse them through the lent, the filter of don't get it too excited about any of this <laughs> because there's a hundred plus commanders in this set and chasing, you know, the specific cards like Hand of the Predators that might work with one of them may or may not be successful depending on how popular that commander ends up being in this right. really crazy context. Like one of the guys, Jason was complaining early on, as you, you mentioned before, Cast, when he came on to talk about this set about how EDH rec was petrified at all the work they were going to have to do, given that there was all these new partner combinations that were possible. And somebody in our Discord calculated that there's like 1,500 plus possible partner combinations now. So mm-hmm. who knows what the top partner, like the top commanders are going to be for the next few months. My guess is that it's going to be this real long tail, which means that no, you might have one or two commanders that are especially interesting to players that really stand out as unique and and fun. And those might rise to the top, but they're not going to put up the numbers that say something like Omnaf did over the last month, because the gap between those and the next 10 or 20 isn't going to be that big. And with 70 plus new commanders and all these partner combinations to try out, people are just going to be experimenting all over the place. And it's going to be a shotgun effect, and no, like everything's going to be roughly even for a long time. Would be my guess. Yeah, you,
1: you'll have a couple, a couple standouts, but I agree. Beyond that, you won't see too much. What you, you'll see one or two leaders, and there'll be a, a widespread of popularity between everything else. And it will take probably, I would guess, roughly two to three months to get a real feel on the distribution, which ones are actually popular and which ones aren't. Cause that's roughly how long it would take for the cards to filter into people's hands and paper and for them to do things with them.
0: Yeah. All right. So moving on to the top uh, magic online movers of the week, a lot of this had to do with the green mono green deck that has posted up as a relevant uh, deck in the new meta. Uh, we see the great hinge Vivian's monster Vivian monsters advocate out of Ikoria Kazandu mammoth out of uh, ZNR and wicked wolf coming back to the forefront uh, in this deck all, all on the basis of standard play so greathenge went from like three and a half tickets to almost six vivian went from almost four to about seven kazandu mammoth going from 30 cents to 55 uh and then Yorion sky nomad makes up about 13 percent of the current standard meta you've got another companion that despite costing three to just get it into your hand uh is still seeing play uh, and also sees play in those jeskai planeswalker decks and the other constructed formats uh Yorian going from basically doubling up from 50 cents to a dollar or so and uh yeah wicked wolf went from two cents to 20 so kind of thing where in paper would never get you out of bed in the morning but if you've been stalking wicked Wolf's away or you were early in on the testing and realized that deck was going to be something and picked up you know three four five six play sets of all of these relevant mythics
1: and rares you'd be in pretty sweet shape yeah yeah that's kind of the story for most of our moto movers right all right, moving right along to the cards
0: to watch uh, flagging this segment uh, based on recent conversations, both with Ellie and others about trying to frame, uh, you know, how we present these things. There's, an, there's definitely a, a perception, I think, and we'll talk about more of this in, in segment four, that the stuff that we present in, in this segment is run out and buy this now pretty important i think every now and again to remind people that's definitely not the case this is not about going out and trying to corner cards it's definitely not trying to, about trying to uh, change anything that the market is not already doing most of the time what we're looking at here is we're trying to find steep ramps low inventory and uh, a scenario where vendors are going to have trouble restocking or will we, uh not be motivated to do so and why we're doing it that way is because we think that those are good indicators that the market has more or less drained a, a card out of the market and that the time is now or never this is ideally you want to you don't want to be early but you don't want to be late you want to be dude that rules into the party around twelve thirty, just as things are getting good is it there for about an hour and a half, two hours while well, the party's at its peak and then, you know, leaves with somebody cute on their arm while the getting is good?
1: This guy trying desperately to convince you about partying at 45. Hey, not, not going to lie. As a
0: parent, I've been to very few parties the last few years. Very few parties. But I've plenty. spent, back in the day, spent plenty of time. Out and about the town, so yeah. Bottom line, this is just about flagging the cards where the the time is now. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that the time is right now. Sometimes it means the time will be soonish, but it depends what we're talking about. So let me give you some examples. Elvish reclaimer, one of my picks this week. Probably six to twelve months out for the foils. It was in M20, which was not this summer, but the summer before. Uh, nine dollars for eight or nine dollars for foils right now maybe a little bit cheaper in europe it's in six thousand edh rec decks and it's a four of in the uh prime time decks in modern that have been doing well for the better part of the last month uh reclaimer is also a great cube card it's a creature that gets bigger and lets you swap lands and stuff it's got all sorts of utility it's got deathright shaman-esque attributes to it and yeah, I don't, I don't see it catching a reprint anytime soon. If it dodges secret layers and so forth, then this should get there.
1: Yeah, this card, I mean, hit our radar as soon as it was printed, right? We were saw the appeal of it um, and talked about it possibly becoming relevant. And it's definitely getting there, um, as you talked about with the modern play and the EDH play. I don't know why we'd really see reprints of it. Like you could, it's very reprimable in a core set, but at the same time, there's not gonna be a reason to go to that well. And if we're talking foils, it means that this could end up in like weird event decks or, you know, commander decks and the foil is not gonna be bothered. So um, yeah, I mean, the stats are definitely there to support uh, a, a decent portfolio of these guys and look to move, you know, end of next year, hopefully. All right. What's uh, your first pick this week? Well, I we're we I, I I this week is a little tricky because I'm like we're so close to the commanders legend spoilers so I don't want to pick anything that's going to dagger people with spoilers that are going to come out in a couple days but at the same time uh, like I can't can't really talk about constructed formats or what have you uh, so. In in any case, I just found it a little tricky. I'm like, all right, we just need to get the commander's legend spoilers out so I can work from that point. Because once that happens, I have so much more information. Um, but I'm going to start this week with Notion Thief. Out of Gate Crash was also in Masters twenty five, but the Gate Crash copy seems to be a little more accessible, surprisingly. Uh, also, a longer timeline. Looking at the foils again.
0: I think you mean Dragon's Maze.
1: Oh, it is Dragon's Maze, isn't it? Yep. Uh, I thought it was Gate Crash, but I. Yeah, that is true. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So, anyway, I'll accept it. I'll accept it. Dragon's Mace. The foils on this right now are about $16 if you're lucky. Uh, The Masters 25 copies are actually more expensive by a dollar or two. Uh, It is in 13,000 EDH Ruck Decks, so it is pretty popular. Um, the only foils are from again the Dragon's Maze and uh, Masters Twenty Five, so not a particularly large supply. Dragon's Maze, especially, was would have been quite low, and Masters Twenty Five was you know what that is. Um, Ten and seven vendors total for the two copies total, uh, so that means you've got seventeen vendors across both printings. Um, you know, as long as there's no reprint in Commander's Legends here in the next week or so. I don't see any reason this wouldn't keep climbing up into the $25 or $30 range. It's popular not only in Commander, but several other formats as well. Commander's just the driving format. It's cool in Cube and uh, I think CDH possibly and a couple other places.
0: Yeah, so this has a couple of interesting attributes overall. Um,
1: and I own zero of them. <laughs>
0: I mean, I, I'm sure I have some Dragon's Maze non-foil Notion Thief sitting around. It just caught a reprinting in in non-foil. It's in the Rogues based deck for uh, the Zendikar Rising Commander uh, two deck series, and so I don't see it being super high on Wizards reprint radar. But the, the reprinter probably needs to fade here as Commander Legends. Um, yeah. I don't put it past them to put it in there and the commander decks because the commander decks are such a kind of minor product that it wouldn't be considered a a main reprint Avenue. And the fact that it's a rogue and the year that we're in right now, heading up to that D and D set next summer Mm. puts it at additional risk because it's a rogue. Um, So I want to see the command. Before I would go very deep with this, I would definitely want to see the Commander Legends spoilers because if it's in Commander Legends, you're going to get foil extended art versions of this, maybe with the same art, and the, that will be the play um, when they get real cheap. But the. Um, if it fades that, then I don't see anything else in the near future. I mean, I guess it's not impossible that it could show up in standard again.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, it doesn't yes. ref It doesn't ref, reference Ravnica in any way. No, it does not. And so I agree that it could show up in standard, no doubt there. Uh, I think Commander's Legends is far and away the more dangerous territory here.
0: I, I, I guess Strixhaven and then maybe the D&D set itself. Like, an Ocean Chief 3 one Flash Rogue could just fit in that set.
1: Yeah, I, I still feel like they're... These types of reprints are relatively unlikely there because they just they get you know they're getting one shot at the D set. Are they going to use a reprint here, right? Like I don't think that the reprints in the standard sets have been pretty light touches so far. It's been mostly ancillary product.
0: Okay, yeah. I mean, I think I would take a light touch to this given the circumstances. But as as Commander Legends gets out of the way, uh, it gets more interesting. Um, yeah. You know, the only question being whether anybody else is going to have the same idea and be in ahead of you. I would also take a look at Europe because I suspect, without having double-checked, that these are significantly
1: cheaper in Europe. Yeah, yeah, that's a good choice. But I, And I agree that Commander's Legends is the, the matzo ball here. All right, so there's been lots of debate inside the ProTrader Discord last couple of weeks
0: about when... Like, everybody agrees, there's lots of great cards in Zendikar Rising. But we don't all agree about whether where we should be when we should be planning on targeting those cards because there are those of us i'm one of them that believe that there's so much value here that we can relatively safely target some of the best cards in Zendikar rising early despite the supply chain problems and then if some stuff gets cheaper buy them further down the ramp and then there's other people in the in the discord are like i'm not touching anything for another six weeks i want to see all the product land. I want to see Commander Legends pull people's attention off it completely. I want to see the holiday season decimate sales and get to like early mid January and then reevaluate. And I think that's a totally reasonable position to take, just in general, to wait and see. Because though sometimes you will miss the boat on something, so for instance, the pre order price on Scourge of the Skyclaves versus where it is today or even where it may head at its true low, um, you would have have lost money. Like, you you would have missed an opportunity. But the thing is, there's always new opportunities, like dozens of them every week discussed in our Discord and elsewhere. And so no harm, no foul if you miss one. Like, if if you wait too long and miss something, oh, well, there's something else waiting for you right around the corner, so no biggie. So, you know, waiting or working the ramp can both be completely viable. Part of this depends kind of on your strategy, your timelines, whether you operate as a vendor or a player, a collector, etc. <clears throat> but here's a good example card to discuss. Omnath Locus of Creation, showcase version, foils, just got banned in standard. People dump some copies. But they didn't dump a ton of copies because it's seen play everywhere. It's the top commander uh, on ED track for the last month. There's going to definitely be some interference from Commander Legends that's going to mess with who's the top commander, as we said earlier. Um, but the card's very strong in EDH and will likely stay that way for a long time. Uh, and it's seeing constant play in Pioneer and Modern, but not necessarily dominating in a broken way that looks like it will get it banned, at least not so far, so much as it's just one of the best cards in the format and very powerful. So... Foil showcase versions are not FOIL Extended Art Mythics. If they were, I would think I would say this is a slam dunk. You could buy them. Currently, pricing is somewhere around 30 to 35, depending on where you're buying them from. There's like a 5% off eBay coupon that'll get you down closer to 30 today. Um, but it's not an extended art only available in the collector booster boxes. It is a showcase foil, so it is available in regular boxes and set booster boxes. So There are These are around, and and Mythics do have a slightly higher drop rate starting in Zeneca Rising, I think, to compensate for the 20 Mythics in the set, Um, which I suspect net-nets out to them being about as, you know, Mythics are still Mythics is basically the bottom line there. The card's amazing. The only question is, can I get them even cheaper in two, four, six weeks than I can get them today? And I'm not 100% sure I know the answer to that. Currently, I would say that my target for the card is about $30. If I can get them for $25 to $30, I'm super happy about it. And if I had to pay $31 or $32, I'm fine with that. I think long-term, these are $50 to $80 cards at least. And so I I think this one's super obvious in terms of playability and power level. This is just about playing chicken with the price.
1: I agree, uh, pretty much across the board here. Unsurprisingly, I definitely want to own these. Thirty dollars seems very, like, a very tempting price point. Um, it's possible the. It's weird because I just I don't know how many of these are even in people's hands because, like, it's been such a major force in standard, but that was all online. So did people own these in paper for standard? Because my thought would be like, well, maybe you get an influx later on when people are back in stores and at GPs and selling their copies back. But if the only people who really bought them so far were EDH players, the only copies in people's hands aren't getting sold back anyways because they don't care about the band change. There's there's a lot. There's, it's very unclear what that inventory situation looks like and how it's distributed among players. But um, I, I guess all of that points to the fact that I don't have a good sense of the price trajectory on this between now and you know February. Gun to my head, I would say I don't see it dropping much at all. Make maybe, you know, if it's thirty dollar low right now, like maybe twenty five. But if you're shooting to get out at fifty to sixty, you might be fine just taking it at the thirty and hoping it's gonna be good enough.
0: I don't think I want to chase it up to 50. Let's put it that way. Like I'm not going to buy a cart full of these that are that range in price from 34 to 50. I think that's a losing strategy. You want to be picking these off here and there where you see them a few bucks below whatever current pricing seems to be, but also keep an eye on whether the second and third waves of Zenicar booster boxes that are finally making their way through the US system and will be in Europe in a couple of weeks start to put downward pressure on the price. If you see the inventory start to fill up, like today currently we're looking at something like 50 listings or so, and nobody really has super deep inventory on this card. Uh, Most of the vendors are onesie-twosie. And if you compare that to something like the foil uh, mythic box topper out of the VIP boosters from Double Masters, totally different situation. So many of those VIP booster packs got cracked by vendors and speculators and then put it onto the market that you do see people with 4, 8, 12 copies of some of those Mythics on TCG Player or even more. Um, but that's not the case yet with the, the Zendikar inventory because the, the stuff hasn't made its way through the supply chain. So there is definitely reason to believe that prices can be pushed down here and... You know, my advice is just to keep your eye on, you know, get restock notices from major vendors that you like to buy from if you got a, you know, if you're got a, uh, a sweet discount at Cool Stuff because of their membership program uh, or you get eBay coupons or whatever. Those are the kind of scenarios where you're going to want to snap some of the stuff off.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think all that's pretty fair here. Um...
0: All right. Tell me about your next pick.
1: Yeah, so... I, uh, poking around, I found Dark Ritual, also a longer pick. Uh, the Amonkhet Invocation copy here, I think, uh, is currently floating around 60 bucks. It's a little pricey. Uh, Dark Ritual reliably shows up in the top EDH cards of the week and month over and over again. Uh, it's in 25,000 total EDH rec decks, so it's very high. Uh, there is not a lot of foil printings of this card, actually. Um, there's very few. And none of them are really stellar. Uh, I don't see this showing up in Commander Legends. Seems like a weird one to, uh, to have there. I don't see it showing up in general in many places that are foil. So given that it's there's a constant demand uh, over and over again, Sees in a lot of play. There's not a lot of great foils. The invocations are divisive in their appearance. But if you want a foil dark ritual, I think it's a pretty cool way to go. And honestly, if I was gonna go buy a foil dark ritual, this is the one I would get. Even if it is, even if you think it's ugly, it's still dramatic in a way that the other ones aren't. The other foils are very generic for the you know, basically. Uh, they're not interesting. And if memory serves me, the best art isn't foil. Like the original art isn't in foil for Dark Ritual, I think. So you don't even get like the cool ones. Really, the best one is probably the Mercadian Masks foil, but uh, they're 88 I mean, they're $88. I mean, I guess it's not as bad as I would have expected. But the invocations are still. I think very tempting at about 60 bucks because you, you know, you only have to ride those up to like 90 or a hundred and you're in good shape. It's not that much of a jump. So that is the direction. Yeah. The, I mean, honestly, the Mercadian masks foils of dark rituals are probably fine too at, at $90, 90, 95. Like you're, I wouldn't want to own a stack of them. Not that you're going to find a stack, but like, what are the odds that card is not 150 or $200 eventually? So Amoncat Invocation Dark Rituals at 60, and maybe the Mercadian Masks foils at
0: 90. Because will we get more Dark Ritual premiums?
1: Yes. Will
0: we get this one? (laughs) Yeah. Very much (laughs) doubt it. The only modification I would put on this is that I think your target market for these is almost certainly uh, the EU and not the US, because there are copies listed over there for 40 rather than 60. At which point, yeah, that's good. At which point calling this, say, 40 to 80 is like a slam dunk. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I was on record, I hate these the invocations. It was, the frames were completely overwrought, but they do work best in black because the black um, color spots uh, blend with the tan better than the green and the blue did, especially. Um, biggest problem with this subset was that It featured so much great art, some of the best art ever made for Magic, and yet it was in these tiny little, like, window frames that were completely dominated by the frames surrounding them. That was a real shame. However, these look good. The black and gold trim, uh, they're the best of the bunch, and if you can snap them off in Europe, you know, 40 to 45 shipped, I think you're doing just fine. Cool. Because the the market is very drained, as you said.
1: Yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, Yeah, those $40 ones are real tempting, honestly.
0: All right, so my final pick of the week is uh, Sahili Rai foils, which I know I have picked at least once before on this cast, and I think in Context then it was talking about uh, the last time this combo was at the forefront of things, and I'm pretty sure we saw these jump up to... I want to say 35 or 40 at one point. I'm pretty sure I sold a few at that point. I'm pretty sure I still have some in inventory. So, you know, full transparency. This is a card that I've got conflicts up the yin yang from being involved with it multiple times uh, when it has spiked. Uh, None of that changes the fact that it's now being played as a four of in a deck that, you know, people like Canister are winning major tournaments with. And it's from Kaladesh. That's several years back now. No reason to believe it's catching a reprint anytime soon. Maybe it shows up in Commander Legends. It might be worth watching. Could show up in non-foil in the list at some point this year. Otherwise, there are no places to print this foil other than Modern Horizons 2, and I find it very hard to believe that Wizards had the foresight to know that this would be a card that might be in demand by then. So I, I think this is safe for a while. And if you fade Commander Legends, then these copies that are sub-15 could easily get up to 30 in a hurry and the ramp is already pretty steep on tcg it looks like people have been nibbling um based on the recent results and over in europe you can still get them a little cheaper and i don't see any reason to wait on these especially if you have any intention of actually playing this Omnath saheeli combo deck at some point
1: yeah saheeli rai is a good card uh who's Utility t- seems to prove itself time and time again, and I feel like well, planeswalkers are pretty low on the reprint list in general. Um, not to say that it never happens, but possibly not as often as you might think. Uh, so, fourteen dollars for foil planeswalkers that are that good is uh, is tempting. It's very tempting. It looks like in Europe they're actually I like it quite a bit n-
0: no cheaper. No cheaper in this case. So. Uh, I think you probably want to bite off stuff at your local retailer and TCG and eBay while the while the get get while the getting is good. And you know I wouldn't go super deep on this, but a playset or so. and yeah, and then looked at uh, hope that paper comes back before this ever catches a reprint is I guess the the main risk.
1: Yeah, yeah. but like again, I, it doesn't seem like something that you're terribly worried about. It doesn't see a whole lot of EDH play,
0: so that's like a decent counter argument. It's only in like a thousand decks on EDH Rec, um, which is a little odd because it's not a super threatening card, and it lets you scry and deal one to an opponent on the up. No one's going to like waste a, a kill spell on that. The minus seven, search your library for three artifacts with different names, put them onto the battlefield, should win you the game. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I run it in Brea and it's it's solid
1: there. I would agree that it's surprising that this doesn't see more play in EDH. You would expect the combo to be good enough, and even the not combo, just the existence of it doing what it does, you'd think it'd be good
2: enough.
0: What's minus two is like lets you copy a creature and artifact you control, which is can be very uh, yeah useful. The to- it's a token. It gains haste, and you have to exile it at the end step. But that can be used for mana bursting, it can be used for getting extra attacks in, all sorts of weird combos. Yeah, I mean, doesn't it, it's not all just about Felidar Guardian, with this card.
1: Yeah, they um, have this card called uh, Greater Good. I'm not sure if you've heard of it before. Sure. Um, yeah, I think it's solid. It's not the first time we've talked about it, uh, but I still think it's good. Yeah, so I, I
0: worry that the the fact that it's mostly a modern thing right now and nobody can really play modern... Um, may make this a, a bit of a nothing burger. So I still have a feeling that you get to play modern in the next year and this doesn't see a reprint for two to three would be my guess.
1: Yeah, I think the reprint timeline is, is years. is years. So it gives you some breathing room there.
0: All right. What's this uh, Harrow you're looking at here?
1: Uh, it's Harrow from Harrow. Uh the the Harrow MPR card, um which is non-foil, currently hanging around 350 or so. Uh it's in 27,000 EDH recks. Um with only seven vendors having near mint MPR copies. Uh, prices have moved up just a tick lately with the increase in land-based decks, but we know Omnath is very popular, we expect Omnath to remain pretty popular, land-based strategy should remain pretty popular, uh, I expect this to in general, remain popular. Um NPR cards, these are the full art, no text cards are very difficult to reprint. We did just see a reprint of the Terminate full art card, the NPR card in the list, but we know that the inventory provided by those is very, very low. So I'm not really that worried about it. Um so I think you can buy these at the, you know, again, three to four dollar range and coast up to maybe eight to ten bucks. So it is in the list? It is not terminate mpr is so i'm just pointing out that like we've there is a place where it can be reprinted where otherwise we would have expected zero reprint possibility but it's the list which we know adds a very minimal inventory overall so i'm not that worried about it even if it were to show up there sure
0: and this card has been printed three times this year already in the regular version mystery booster cards commander 2020 and commander's end of Card rising so there's no shortage of the card itself in the market. So the list is really the only risk at all for this card. And prior to the list, there would have been zero risk. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so this, is, like, yeah. This, this is one of those situations where it's, it's not that people are buying this because it's a replacement good for all these other copies. This is a very... Collectors need these to finish the collection of these specific cards. And some people will just appreciate the full art version and want to add it now if we got an extended art foil version that might run some interference for a lot of people but there's just so few of these old magic play rewards copies of anything lying around that eventually they're just going to be gone gone
1: yeah and uh this would be a common and uncommon so i don't know how likely you are to see full art showcases of these not going to be much of that like it's not a rare Mm. I guess you're not up to speed.
0: We know One of the things we know about Commander Legends is that Extended Arts are being moved
1: down the chain and will include commons and uncommons now. In Commander's Legends, you said? Yeah. Now, I I don't know if that'll hold the case in other formats. I suspect it will. I I
0: have a feeling it's starting with Commander Legends. And the reason for that is that one of the biggest feel-bads in opening collector booster boxes is you brush by a cadre of foil uncommons and commons that are just com- mostly useless. Like it's just a bunch. It's, it can be any of the commons and any of the uncommons. And a lot of them are quite, they're like draft chaff. And it's just silly to be getting a pile of these premium foils that you always end up just putting aside and throwing in a bulk or throwing out. Um, and I think there's both from that angle and the angle that wizard says, Hey, wait, we're pl- printing a lot of these extended arts, but we're only doing them in two rarities. Tough for people to match up their decks, and we know people like to be matchy, matchy. So, may as well, you know, maybe give some of those foil common uncommon slots up for foil common uncommon extended arts, and then the collector boosters get even more juicy.
2: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Because, like, the the
0: whales are the way, if they continue with that, the whales are just going to be able to pivot off regular cards completely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I, I. I don't, I'm not, okay, I'm definitely not saying they won't expand the uh, showcase printings. And frankly, if you ask me on a three-year time frame, I would say it's more likely that you'll have commons and uncommons than not. Uh, I guess my point was just, we don't know for sure yet. Uh, and also, I don't even remember the last time Harrow was printed in Standard. It Was it in one of the newer Zendikars? I'm thinking it... Might be it was only... in Zendikar. It was just in Zendikar. It was in the new one? Okay. Yeah. In- invasion,
0: well, Invasion, and then in Tempest, Invasion, and Zendikar.
1: The the first Zendikar, though. Yes. Yeah, so the last time this was printed in standard was like eight years ago. Ten More, years ago. More, yeah. Mm-hmm. Some number of years ago. That's too many. Uh, yeah. So I guess my point being that I'm not even sure. This would have to be printed in a product with the extended arts at comment and uncommon, to even be a risk if that makes sense yeah and and again i this is just such a rare version that it's just going to drain yeah. out given
0: enough time anyway
1: yeah yep Yep. okay so just a simple one like you know toss them in your cart maybe works for me whatever all right or don't i don't care <laughs> <laughs> pro
0: trader Philum wins the 25 dollar gift certificate from cool stuff inc this week with his pick uh, there was a lot of interesting picks this week, but I, I I flagged this one because I think the VIP box topper foil mythics are worth keeping an eye on from Double Masters. And Philem is pointing out that Wormcoil Engine um, foil box toppers are currently available on TCG Player in around $24, $25, and that they are selling closer to $30 to f- 35 on eBay. Um, I suspect that that has a lot to do with where the vendors that opened the most VIP inventory Uh, tend to operate uh my thesis being that there are those people uh you know people like uh michael caffrey at tales of adventure are primarily uh tcg player sellers as opposed to ebay sellers um so a lot of that inventory lives uh uh more of it lives on tcg player than on ebay um Either way, bottom line is that those worm coils being in 10,000 EDH rec decks and occasionally seeing uh, constructed play and cube play is going to get them back up into the $40 to $50 range given enough time. Call it 12 months plus uh, on these. I think that's totally reasonable.
1: Oh, yeah, I've been. I looked at Worm Coil Engine a couple times uh, and was tempted. The inventory seemed a little high to me, I think, when I looked last time, uh, which was not long ago. It was like two or three episodes ago. But that doesn't mean that it's a bad pick, it just means you might be waiting a little bit longer than you would otherwise, but it's still uh still worth considering.
0: Currently 44 near mint listings on TCG, but it climb once you get past the first ten or fifteen or so, you're climbing up into the mid thirties and nobody mm. in that range has more than three copies. Cardhouse yeah. Cardhouse Games has three at twenty four and then everybody else has onesie twosie.
1: Yeah, so I mean you've got a little bit of inventory to burn through, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like that used to be, you know, kind of what we were used to. Uh, and I don't think of that as a, as, a, as a major issue at all.
0: Also worth flagging that if you are holding these, probably keep holding. I don't think I'd be panic selling these at 22 bucks or something on Facebook.
1: Well, no. I mean, if we're talking about specking on them, then probably not right to sell them. Yeah. I mean, I think
0: once you get past... One of the things I've talked about in the Discord a few times lately is that if you don't get your out during the pre-order hype season for a product, you may as well just you need to divide that inventory up into stuff that is overwhelmed by supply but has I mean but has high demand generally and will overcome those supply issues given time and the stuff that was only ever expensive because it was in short supply that is now overwhelmed by supply and has limited demand to chip away at that that's a really good dividing point. Because mm-hmm. putting things into those two piles will help you figure out what you're supposed to be panic selling if you missed your window of opportunity, and what is now a spec hold that you're going to, you know, put back up for sale in eight to twelve months.
1: Right, right. Uh, and I would say portal portal stuff is a good example of cards that were sure high because of uh, yeah, Gr- grim tutor extended art fo- Gr- grim tutor
0: showcase foils, um. Were much higher two three weeks after they came out than they are today. I think they've slid ten or fifteen dollars a copy. So mm-hmm. good a good example of something that was the market didn't really know how to price out of the gate, and you, there was really good opportunities to exit on it while everybody was was hype about it. And the art's gorgeous; like the card itself looks fantastic. And when people were opening them in their M twenty one collector boosters, they were like excited to open them. And the prices were high, but there isn't that much demand for the card in reality, especially, you know, even though EDH is the thing this year and it's the only format most people can play, it's not that great a card in EDH. There are better tutor options in the format. So uh, it's a better looking card from a collector's perspective than it is a necessity for your EDH uh, play binder.
1: Yeah, you got to be pretty far down the uh, tutor list to be playing this.
0: All right, so moving right along to our new segment, Collector's Corner. This is just an, uh, our attempt to step out of the, you know, speculation and inventory mindset and approach things from more of a value collector mindset, a uh, rarities mindset, a, you know, what it represents uh, just an interesting collectible for Magic fans to be trying to track down, something like uh, the Amano Liliana sleeves or play mats last year. Um, or to be looking at things from an art perspective. You know, what, what cards are look fantastic in a in a binder that you might want to hold on to and take a look at, uh, you know, over the years, as opposed to things that are going to make you money. Um, now, one of the other angles uh, here is to look at cards that are really cheap and you might need, freshly need for your decks, but aren't necessarily going to be big gainers. Uh We talked briefly last week about Transmogrify Extended Art Foils um, out of Zendikar Rising as being a card that was showing up in the Jeskai Planeswalker builds uh, alongside Luka uh, in Pioneer and how they were dirt cheap. These are Extended Art Foils, the best version you can get for a dollar. And it's basically just a polymorph effect, but the deck runs four of them. So you've been eyeing that deck, and you're thinking you might play it, and you think that deck's going to be around in a year. No reason to hold off on these one dollar foil extended arts.
1: Yeah, uh, and I, you know, I said the same. I said this last week that I think those are, as uh, a cool card, probably basically the floor of extended art foils, um, and it's a type of thing that like specking on it might not be like it's probably. It's probably fine. And like some of the stuff we'll talk about, like is obviously gonna have overlap with cards you could speculate on. Uh, but it's at the very least, it's a you should definitely buy a play set or so for yourself because you'd rather have it at this super cheap price right now than you know, run the risk of having to pay six or seven bucks for it or whatever down the road. Or maybe it's only two or three dollars, but at least you got yours very low. Yeah. nice nice to be at the floor
0: and and this deck is consistently winning pioneer tournaments so i don't i can't promise you that it's going to be this deck will exist in a year (laughs) when you can actually pay pioneer but uh at a dollar very little risk uh my second pick is very similar uh we flagged when we were talking about that modern mill deck that maddening cacophony extended art foils um looked like they might suddenly be in demand for mill players and you can pick those up in the 3 to $4 range, depending on where you're grabbing them. I think they're even a little cheaper in Europe, um, as tends to be the case. And if the card is truly replacing Glimpse the Unthinkable, and you're a mill player, I see zero reason to hold back. Um, you don't have to run out and get them right this second, but sometime in the next, whatever, six to eight weeks, um, these will hit whatever their bottom is. could be $2, dollars 2 3 dollars Wait to get them on sale or throw them into another cart that you're rolling with, but you are going to need these in your mill deck. It looks like, and it's a card that a lot of people have overlooked thus far.
1: Yeah, uh, these mill cards definitely have a tendency to sneak up over time. They tend to be pretty popular um, with a certain subset. So I don't know. I, I it, it, milk you know, glimpse of the unthinkables used to be like thirty dollars for a reason. So, uh, even if you're not, even if it's not taking any formats over by storm, it might be sneaking up on the back side of things over time, easy to miss basically. Yep. All right. So
0: what was your, uh, collector's corner pick this week?
1: Well, I'm going to, I'm going to throw a little shade at you, just a little bit of shade at you on this one, but James told me about this segment like 45 minutes before we sat down the record so i'm like fair oh okay <laughs> like what am i gonna come up with right now uh but the first thing that popped in my head when you said like uh, you know cards that are more about uh, pre- trying to get a hold of from a collector's perspective catch at the bottom you know have this on your radar was uh, the entire icoria showcase set right like and you, we could talk. We've talked about the Triomes. We can talk about like specific, um, specific uh, the mythic ones. Uh, you know, there's various angles to approach this. But just from like a from like a complete collection, because um, there's a good chunk of these. They all look really cool, and you you know, especially some of the uncommons may or may not be useful down the road. You know, not all all of them won't be, but some of them might be better than others. But if you're going to pick up several of these, which I think that most players will want to, anyways, especially the lands, it would be pretty cool to have them all. And they're, um, it's just a. Gr- I honestly think this is some of the best art Wizards has ever put out of cards, and it's cool because they made so many of them um, to give you kind of a full collection here, and you're never going to see these again. Right? like I, I, I don't yeah. know the scenario in which they reprint not only the, uh, sh- these alternate art showcase versions of these, but the entire set. So if you think these look cool, yes, there are several hundred copies out there of some of these cards that are a couple pennies. Great. Go get them all now. Stash them and be happy about it. Um, because if you like them at all, you're going to be glad that you... St- stashed your copies away now the
0: list looks like the place where this kind of stuff will show up somebody was asking me the other day about you know how safe are the Japanese war planeswalkers and I think they're they're safe in as such that the only good place to print any of them would be non-foil in the list like they could put the Amano Liliana in there and feel good about it Um, Hmm. but outside of that scenario nah that these very like unique arts are are not going to catch reprints especially like cards like a lot of these cards are relatively useless they were really cool in draft and they are not playable elsewhere but there are some real gems in here for edh like parcel beast auspicious sterics uh aluna and Brocos and nethroy gem razor Snapdax is a solid card Sea Dasher octopus especially if, if you're building your uh, your EDH decks at like a mid-tier power level. Um, but I agree that the, the real win here is art. Like the art on the Ikoria showcase cards is really, really nice. And I one of the only things I've bindered up in the last few years in uh, both foil English and foil Japanese um, and cared about getting the full set of I don't love every single last piece of art in the set, but I I like enough of it and to you know bother putting it into a binder, and that that speaks volumes because I don't do that
1: very much at all. Yeah, and it's it'll have appeal to down the road, and it's possible you might be able. I'm not like advocating this specifically, but you might be able to catch an angle where like, hey, I have the entire foil collection here, uh, and some comic book collector falls in love with them. And it's like, oh, this is really cool. This is a series of comic books on magic cards. You know, I'll buy the whole set from you type of thing. You might be able to essentially charge a premium for having it all together, uh, which is nifty as well. Um, So just a fun little thing to have and own. And I, I think you'll be glad to have acquired. And, you know, I will contrast this with something like the Invocations, which like I... You know, I can talk about individual cards, like the Dark Ritual, right? Like, I think that's a good choice, but advocating that you go buy all the Invocations or all the M20 Full Arts is just not going to happen in the same way that I think these are just cool.
0: Well, the other thing is, these are dirt cheap, especially if you don't care about them being foil. They're extremely cheap, like pennies, for the most yeah, part. And I figured. And the uh, most expensive ones, you know, if you consider the Triomes to be part of that set, you're, those are must-haves, period, um, for EDH, uh, Pioneer and Modern. And you know, even Nethroy is four bucks in non-foil. Brocos is three fifty, and then everything else is under two bucks. So you can get this entire collection on TCG Player for like twenty five dollars or something, and that's a complete no brainer. Mm-hmm. In foil, mm-hmm. it's going to be a little more pricey, but you know, not not everybody cares whether the these are in foil.
1: Yeah. Uh, okay, All right. so there you go. That's that's our collector corner. Collector corner. I also had an idea for. Uh, oh God, well, I had another name for it, but I uh, the the bargain bin. I think came to mind. Uh, really, you could come up with a different a different alliteration for this every week if you wanted to. Uh, but I guess let us know in the Discord or on Twitter or something if you think this is interesting content uh, or if you think it sucks, which. Leads us into a perfect segue for segment five here.
0: Yeah. So this is a a bit of a weird one uh, for our final segment. I had a person on Twitter reach out to me and basically complain about the podcast (laughs) and the thrust of what they were saying was that we used to be their favorite finance podcast and now we're, we're not. And they had a few points to make about, um, why they thought that that was the case, and keep in mind that I I have dozens and dozens of interactions with people, both pro traders and external to the pro trader system, um, in a given week, and the vast majority of them are positive. Some of them are not. Um, this isn't even remotely the most uh, vitriolic uh, approach someone has taken to criticizing the podcast, but there was a couple of things that jumped out at me here. Um, that I thought were interesting because it tied into some of what we heard from Ellie when we had her on the podcast and she was talking about perceptions of us and MTG Finance in general and the kinds of things that went through her head when she was trying to parse our content and the discussions we had about where our responsibilities to communicate effectively start and end, where... Uh, the responsibilities of the listener in terms of um, being diligent in their um, consumption of the content and factual about their analysis of that content start and end. And I thought this might be, you know, another a, a platform, you know, uh, the next rung on the ladder to, you know, fully exploring this topic. Um, so he starts off by saying that, you know, the podcast is quote unquote losing its luster. And he was asking for us to bring Cliff back um, because, though he, in his words, likes the indifference
1: of Wizard Bumpin', uh, he went. I could care less about that comment.
0: Yeah, he, he went on to say in a few different ways that he just thinks that Cliff is the most enthusiastic and fun loving. And that he came off as also the most honest of the three well, of us.
1: I got bad news for you, Clef, because just despite this guy, we're never gonna have you back on. So, <laughs> you know, this dude, the thing. And, and the funny thing about this is, I, I agree with most of that. Like, I think just
0: personality wise, that's true. Um, you know, Travis is, is largely a 90 year old curmudgeon, and I'm, you know, a brash 20 something by personality, I suppose and and cliff is a fun loving honest good-hearted guy like the kind of guy you would be happy and proud to have as a friend and who you know has your back when you need you know pulls your hair out of your face when you're puking in a gutter and so forth (laughs) so i get i get where he is like what he's picking up on there and you know having spent more time with travis than this this guy has um I know that both you and I have a lot more going on with our personalities than is necessarily displayed on cast. Um, But I found that amusing.
1: Uh, Yeah. And I, you know, this is going to sound a bit cynical, uh, but I would point out that Cliff's enthusiasm may stem from the fact that he hasn't done 245 episodes of this. Like the, (laughs) I mean, realistically, like from our perspective, the luster is off a little bit when you're this deep into it, right? Like, for cliff it's cliff it's i don't want to say a treat but like it's not it's more novel week yeah it's not every week that he does this for me it's like oh man i gotta do this tuesday night all right well i make time to go sit down and look at all this like well and and, it's it's a job and and, and clearly that he and others are picking up on that because he accuses
0: accuses us of sounding like it's a chore now i'm gonna lay more of that in your lap than mine i
1: don't have any enthusiasm issues but I, I agree completely. I agree completely. I will shoulder that bird pretty much entirely. Mhm. And and that's fine. I mean, the
0: everybody's experience with creating content is different and and what we focus on is making sure that you guys get the information you need every week to do your thing. Whether we're entertaining or not was not really part of the game plan from day 1 where we have lucked into being entertaining or funny um or witty that's largely accidental <laughs> whatever happens we'll yeah you know. yeah because, <laughs> whatever happens it was accidental. because that's not really uh was never a goal really of this podcast we, we I, keep in mind that we originally set this all up to give you guys 20 minutes of quick facts and move on and then the pulpit just got
1: got thicker and thicker i think i think i probably had what is fair to describe as illusions of grandeur at the outside of this grandeur being a bit hyperbolic but like i don't know i thought it was gonna it 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 became clear that we we reached our audience and we hit a, a hit a level of popularity and it was i was very pleased with that and then, um, you know, I did not become a, a major player in the magic scene. And then we were three years in and I'm like, yeah, this is still fun. Yeah. I mean,
0: this is a podcast aimed at a very specific niche. We, we reach that niche and <laughs> happily post it up on that plateau. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't want to get better and better all the time. But there's a limited amount of time to uh, devote to that particular set of pursuits uh, in a given week i mean this yeah. week we gave a you a limit- new segment
1: you know hopefully you like it that's about it. A, a limited a limited amount of time and also i think a, a limited amount of listeners like there are only going to be so many people who care about magic card prices like that's a niche as you've said before niche of a niche of a market and we can do our best to try and expand that but like even wizards has realized obviously that uh, there's money to be made in getting more money out of the enfranchised player than there is in trying to expand the player base. And I don't think we're in a different zone than that. Like, right? Like, it's hard for us to expand too far out into non-magic, non-money-oriented players because it's just. You know, well, I mean, the, the, con- it, the content is specific.
0: I've known for a while that the move to add more listeners is relatively simple. You just make a more mainstream cast that doesn't mention the words MTG Finance. I mean, well, and, and, uh, but... and, and that's what <laughs> most of the content, bigger content streams that have uh, decided they want to grow their audience, uh, reali- did so at the moment where they realized that to do to achieve that they will need to go ma- more mainstream. So if you think about Goldfish early on versus Goldfish today, they pivoted from being more or less finance focused to being much more mainstream magic focused deck lists, deck play, Twitch streams, et cetera. And the financial data is largely in the background. You know, it's a, mm-hmm. a set comes out, uh, Seth throws out his, you know, usual EV article using the same template that it usually uses. And, but that's not, that's just a piece of their bigger puzzle. So if it, it's, if when MTG price decides to push on all of that and compete at that level, then it will involve an expansion of the content stream. But for yeah.
1: for now, we we know what we, our focus is. So I, I it's I think of Brainstorm Brewery as the uh, the iconic podcast that was very finance oriented and then drifted further and further away from that. And now they're like the number one magic lifestyle podcast, right? Like finance isn't even part of their their gimmick. In fact, it's really funny. I don't know if you remember that if you ever heard this or not, but. <clears throat> somehow and I don't recall the pathway that led me here I heard a cast that they recorded uh where they essentially just stood there and they read out very monotone the top movers of the week and then I think they each outlined a pick or something like that with no no animation in their voice no excitement and tried to be real flat uh and I heard it and I'm you know, I think I like tweeted Jason or Corbin or something. It was like, wow, you guys are really taking a shot at us, and found out that they had recorded it like two years prior. Like we were not on. It was before this cast had started, and I was like, oh damn. So like they had basically like made the what would become this podcast format as a joke. <laughs> one t- one time like to show how boring it was without the personality and then like walked away from it and never did it again and I was like oh I feel a little stupid now
0: uh, I mean I would argue that they are still very much a finance podcast that the topics that they discuss on a regular basis uh center around the prices of cards and their utility to players in the market but they're very also hyper aware that it poisons the well of their relationships with wizards and some of their major sponsors to Mm -hmm. claim the mantle. And there's a lot of social credit to be gained with the players who are put off by MTG finance to, uh, position themselves as, yeah, we're giving you some of the same information, but we don't like, we definitely don't think of ourselves that way. We don't take ourselves too seriously. We're not in a suit We're we're not, wall street wannabes we are uh you know your friendly neighborhood player who just has a little bit of information for you and Mm -hmm. i get all the i get all the positioning um i think some of it's a smokescreen but the i get it and it makes sense in the market so i want to move through some of these other criticisms because there's some good stuff here uh he says to me i like your picks but then i go on ebay and see you selling the exact same picks for a certain price i don't know you just used to be better, and I don't know. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> can't
2: can't
1: can't argue with that. Can't argue with that. You you we say a card is for we say a card is good to buy, and then we own the card, and we're caught out, man. I don't know. But okay, but the,
0: the, there is a a very important <laughs> distinction to be made here, and. I think it's one of the pivot points like it's it's one of the fulcrums by which the relationship between mgg finance focused players and other players uh how that relationship pivots and that is whether the creation of content is uh rooted in the motivation to drag others along to complete a biode of some sort that you're too scared to do on your own ellie there was there was there was um ellie didn't say these exact things but she came to same some of the same assumptions without any access to the facts this guy is saying he knows what my ebay account is and he goes and checks what whether i have it for sale and i said okay that's, you know, that's definitely not the case, but go ahead, give me an example so we can take a look at it with you. And he says, oh, Thousand Year Storm. Okay, so so I go back and check <laughs> on Thousand Year Storm, and it wasn't me or you that made that pick. It was Cliff while, while you were out doing baby things. And that's not even a card I have in inventory. I have a single copy, a foil Japanese copy that I bought for like $5 that I'm trying to get like 15 or something for. That's my, the extent of my interest, and I have like a quarter million dollars in inventory, as I explained to this person. The idea that I would ever, not only not pick the, not make the pick myself, but convince some other cast member to make the pick for the benefit of me making ten dollars, is just completely ridiculous. And his response was, "Well, yeah, because you sold all your copies," when I said that I didn't have any for sale. And I'm like, "Dude, that." Thousand-Year Storm is just a good is it card in EDH. Never going to be a huge, big deal. It's only, like, if we're talking about the foils, the foil rare from the pre-high foil drop rate era, it's going to see a slow, steady gain, drain in the marketplace. You're hoping that that drain leads to it being worth, like, Cliff called it at 17 to go to 30 with a relatively steep ramp. Well, and that was three months ago. He called it for a year from now. That ramp is pretty much still exactly the same as it was last we looked at it in June. Nothing's really changed. Card's not really on the move. Doesn't seem like the market's draining it out very fast at all. You know, Cliff will be lucky to get away with that card getting to 30 in the next year before somebody reprints it. Mm -hmm. That's a normal situation. The Mm -hmm. The idea that Cliff or I would call it out because we own 50 copies of it is, is just silly pants. And in the rare occasions where one of us has mentioned something that we indeed have a bunch of, we typically are pretty good about mentioning that we have it and, and, or the logic by which we achieved that. I mean, a good example from today is Sahili Rai calling that out. That's not the first time I've called it. Freely admit that I own some, that I've sold some in the past for good profit. Others have sat in the bad spec box since, there's no modern being played. So not a huge impetus for people to run out and buy them right this second, but the ramp's real steep and the market may well chew them up before we get back to paper. So do I own some? Yes. Did I pick it because I own some? Most definitely not. I'm only picking it because the ramp looks good. If there was 300 listings on TCG player and it didn't look like anybody was ever going to get any kind of exit on this card, then we just move right along to the next thing. Right.
1: Uh yeah, yeah, I, we've 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 been through this so many times. Like sometimes we own the cards we talk about. Sometimes we don't. I I don't know if I have any heroes. I honestly don't remember if I have any stashed away or not. I know I don't have any dark ritual invocations. I don't think I own any notion thieves either. But uh, at the same time, maybe maybe sometimes I do own the stuff. I try and tell you guys when we do. But like, this is this is this type of content. Like if we didn't own any of it, then why? Like, I, I, I
2: but it's, it's also a little
0: different than when stock pickers picks, like talk their book without divulging how much stock they own, because it's very, very natural for vendors, especially vendors that have relatively large inventory to have some of everything in stock. So like, I don't do that because I'm not a full scale vendor. But if you're talking to somebody like a Douglas Johnson, who buys collections all the time, or, you know, Jason's more in that mo- that mode of operation as well, those guys are going to have everything in stock, like all sorts of things. They don't necessarily have every single last thing, but there's a good chance that they own or have, you know, a conflict of interest in theory on any card they talk about, but that doesn't mean that that in any way motivates them because the bigger your inventory gets the less that is likely to be the case the person that is most motivated to make to try that kind of thing to say to somebody hey go buy this thing because i bought it and i do occasionally bust pro trader members you know will the, the, the most obvious opportunities are these we, we make the weekly call for people to give us their pick of the week some of the ones that come into me i'm like <laughs> That None of that logic you just spilled on me makes any sense. How many copies do you own? And then they're like sheepishly like, uh, you know, bought a couple dozen or whatever because I thought this was going to be a thing. Okay, so that's why that one is on that person's mind. Now, did they think that they were going to help use me to help push the needle? Maybe. Or maybe they're just thinking about that card because they own it. and mm-hmm. And they've been tracking it obsessively and wasting time and money, hoping it's going to go up. Which is something that is the kind of baggage that you tend to shed as you get deeper down the road and expand your operation, because you just get to a point where the fate of any one card just doesn't matter. Like I opened enough modern horizons that hogak being huge for a few weeks and then getting banned. Who cares? I sold some hogaks, got caught with a couple, whatever. Like, it, it just doesn't matter. Omnath, band, and standard, who cares? I, I just got my, you know, my German CBs today and cracked two or three Omnaths. Did I call Omnath because I cracked them? No, I called Omnath because it's played in multiple formats. And though I disagree with the filters that this person was dropping, seems to be dropping, over uh, the content that we're producing, I do agree that some filters need to exist we talked about this with ellie about how valuable it is to be critical of content creators like us and to um spend the time to examine the logic and i guess where i'm going with that is that the best advice i can give this person and other people listening is that if you think that we're full of shit and you think oh i bet he's you know he's talking his book again just check the logic, check check whether check the play patterns, check the inventory level, consider reprint potential, do your own research, do, do your back checking on what we're suggesting, and then that will get you to where we want you to get to, which is if we mention five, six, seven things a week, we want you to distill that down to the one or two that make the most sense to you, that make the most sense given you know, where you live, how much money you've got whether you know what your goals and and your modus operandi tends to look like are you a collector are you a vendor are you an ebay seller etc is going to change the kinds of things you go after the whens the wheres the whys the hows and so our our advice is not going to be equally valuable in each specific instance in the same way to the same people so it makes perfect sense that you should filter out a lot of what we say or recommend through that process uh, of self-evaluation. And, you know, I've got no problem with that. I just want people to understand that (laughs) I'm just way past the point where I would ever table a pick because I wanted to try
1: to move a specific card. Yeah. I think the the dividing line here is if you're willing to put a little bit of the legwork in, and even just doing it a couple times, you know, will set a precedent. Of you know, if somebody says, "Oh, this card is great," uh, and then you look into it and you're like, "Well, why are they talking about this? Like, I don't understand w- why this person's pitching this card," and then it becomes a little suspicious. But if I'm sitting here and going, "Hey, man, there are like twelve vendors for this card." that's six years old and it's seen some play lately uh i mean you don't have to be a brain genius to listen to what i say and go fact check me and be like yeah i guess he's right like that the the logic of the of the decision will still hold up um so it doesn't even matter if i own copies or not what matters is the information i presented to you is correct and the the logic about why this is a good choice will carry through um and I think we're also pretty good about disclosing when we own stuff. But even if we weren't, it'd be pretty obvious. So, uh, you know, the the concerns about talking up our own stuff is is essentially fat. You know, it's checkable. You can va- verify whether we're full of crap or not. Well,
0: he- here's one of the ways he tried to call bullshit that I think is worth taking a look at. He says, "Yeah, I agree, but the price you told of people to buy at and the price you were selling at." dot 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 people aren't making money so i think what he's referring to there is, as as pertains to thousand year storm is that cliff on the week in question is making the call that foil thousand year storms in, in on tcg player are currently at available at 16 or 17 dollars, and he says they're going to go to 30 not a super exciting event even if he's right and even if it happens quickly because you know a 13 dollar gap minus fees and shipping maybe you're making six seven bucks a copy that's solid but it's not amazing and you're also not selling that card as a four of it's not a place card so it, it was always a minor minor league pick, right? But the guy goes and checks my eBay account and finds that I've got a foil Japanese copy for $16. So he said, he, in his mind, he's thinking, well, you just want me to go buy that copy because the only copy I can find is at the price that you're, that, that Cliff is saying buy it, but James is selling it. And he also probably got confused in there, like maybe thought it was me making the pick. So he thinks I'm telling you to buy the thing at the price I'm currently selling it at. But if I thought it was a spec, why would I be selling it? Mm-hmm. Which is which is a solid point. But he's missing a part. I bought mine at $4 because mine's Japanese and I bought it in Japan. And I'm not Cliff. <laughs> so it all, it doesn't all add up when you actually look at the facts the reason the reason that i'm willing to sell you at the price that that cliff um is telling you to buy at is cuz we are not the same person and i would not have made the same pick i wouldn't have called thousand year storm at 17 in that particular circumstance i thought it was a reasonable pick but it wouldn't have been a priority pick for me and if i got in on a card at 4 bucks and i can triple on it then i will do that because i don't yeah. have a treme- i don't i never have a tremendous amount of confidence in a foil foreign edh card so if there's an out and the out looks good i will i will take it repurpose those funds and get them rolling i don't know when thousand year storm is going to get to 30 and i don't know if i'll be able to get uh you know 30 for the japanese copy so why did he find mine at the same price as cliff had called out because i hadn't got around to
1: repricing it yeah I was just going to say that there's a simple fact here that he overlooks, which is I definitely do not know every single card that I have listed for sale (laughs) everywhere. And you are giving me way too much credit if you think I am that on top of it, especially if you think that I am (laughs) that I'm looking at James's picks and going through TCG and all this crap. Oh, do I have one of those? Are you kidding me? Do you have any time? Yeah, there's no time. I have like just seen stuff sell and been like, oh what happened? So I I current <laughs> for his information
0: and others, I have six hundred and twenty-two listings on eBay right now. If you think that I remember any of those cards and prices, you're kidding yourself. That's two that's like three five rows worth of cards in perfect fits and top loaders. And every time I sell one, I have to go find it. And thankfully I'm organized because if I wasn't, it would just be a nightmare. And at least once or twice a month, I can't find it because I have misfiled it somewhere or I've got it in a deck or whatever. And I'm never even a hundred percent sure I still own the card because that's, that's the kind of operation I'm running over here. So mm-hmm. do keep in mind that things are a little more complex than you, than you might think. So do, and, do, and, do run your filters, but, and f- uh, but also run me- filters on your filters. Mm.
1: They're more complex, but for a near embarrassing reason, Yeah, <laughs> which sure. is like the, the overhead of dealing with this is just like enough that I make these mistakes all the time. I, I I will tell you on a roughly a monthly basis, I will have some card that suddenly sells three copies in the span of an hour that's been sitting on TCG player for two years. And then I have to go into our discord and be like, uh, what happened? Why, why did I suddenly sell four copies of this card? Uh, And I get told what occurred, and I go, oh, yeah, that's true. And I'm pretty sure that I have even advocated buying cards at the price that essentially I had listed because I didn't realize I had them listed. Sure. That has likely happened, too, because I think I have sold copies of cards that I had picked, and I was annoyed. I I was like, oh, this was a pick. I didn't want to sell this. I I, I was holding on to this. I'll I'll do you one better. I, I have
0: sold cards at a price, and then having seen it sell realized it's probably a spec and then gone out to buy more at a higher Mm -hmm. price than I just sold it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because sometimes I put a price up and nothing, it doesn't move for say six, eight, nine, 12 months plus, you know, there's going to be some stuff that just doesn't sell through and you forget about it and you're paying fees on it. You should probably take the, the listing down if it's still a spec, but you don't. You're paying fees on it. Well yeah, you pay listing fees every month on eBay if you're past a certain number of fee- uh, number of listings. Uh, I think I you get know, like you I get like 200 less. listings free on eBay or something and then
1: oh, you pay uh, that would be and then you
0: pay a small amount per listing.
1: I don't uh, I don't think I've ever had more than 30 items and that's probably high. Yeah,
0: so you can actually be dr- like spending money you don't need to be on a card that the, the market has moved past. Another thing problem that comes up uh, fairly frequently is, you over you're, you're the best price in the market when you post and then the market fades. So for a really good example was Godzilla foil, Ghidorah, Mothra, uh, space Godzilla. I got amazing prices on those in Europe back in May, posted them for sale, made some really good money on them. And then the market started to undercut me as more of the copies from Europe floated over to the U S and, and came from Japan too, I would suppose. Um, and woke up one morning and realized, hey, you know what's kind of weird? I haven't sold any of those in the last month. And a couple things had happened. A, the hype cycle had switched from Icoria on to uh, Core 21 and then later Double Masters, but also the inventory had just filled in. And so you go back and look at your listing and you used to be the lowest price. And now and I, I think I was getting like 90 to 110 on foil Ghidorah's at one point. And the market basically the race to the bottom, got it back down to 60 and I've still got copies listed at like 98. Well, if you're not on top of that, if you aren't using software to track and manage your prices and compare them to uh, market pricing, then you're doing everything manually and your pricing is going to be off. And the more listings you have, the more frequently that's going to occur.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I, i I'll, I'll, <laughs> the reason I price all my crap high is because it's just so much easier to deal with <laughs> like it's just annoying to try and like get it exactly correct a lot of times like eh, it's just easier to be the last guy standing
0: yeah and, and that and sometimes when you are
1: s- set it at a price that i'm happy with which may or may not be the highest price on tcg player
0: and that's why people don't fully understand i mean this is an issue with me because i'm not I, I don't sell on tcg player and, that, and that's one of the things that's funny is that sometimes people think I'm trying to manipulate TCG player. I don't have a TCG player account. <laughs> it doesn't benefit <laughs> me for prices to go off the hook on TCG player. That's uh, why I
1: give James a cut to talk about yeah, my crap right, TCG right, 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 right. right.
0: So the, you know, the, sometimes you see a price that's crazy on TCG player. Something hollows out and it used to be 100 and now the last price is $900. do not be so quick to judge the 900 dude. or or lady, don't assume that that is an attempt to manipulate prices on, you know, MTG price or MTG stocks or whatever. It might be. People definitely have tried that and do try that. But it can also just be a placeholder price that's just sitting around. Like it can be a price that somebody put in because they didn't want to sell the card or weren't ready yet. And they just wanted to, like, get all their inventory up that night. They weren't sure how to price that. So they put in something silly, the highest price
1: possible, and then they forget about it. I mean, I have definitely posted stuff at really high prices just to keep track, like essentially to keep track of it existing. And it's like, yeah, if it sells, nifty. But like, I'm not expecting it to. It's more just a bookkeeping strategy. Yeah. Um, I remember somebody after Foil Metalworker sold out, it got unbanned in EDH and it sold out on TCG Player. And Foil Metalworker is uh, Urza's legacy reserve list card. They had to ban an EJH, so it was like, who knows what this price is going to be. So I put it at, like, I don't know, some very high number. And people, I saw people that posted it on Twitter were annoyed about it. And I'm like, yeah, man, what do you want? What, I don't know what the hell the price of this card is. I'm going to put it at $700 and see what happens because it's not in a rush. I can move it down if I have to. But might as well cast a net here. Yeah. And, I mean, that's the other thing is
0: that sometimes, like, if you think that, for instance, here's a card I've talked about that I own tons of fiery emancipation flag that card early on it's going to be like great henge-esque or it's it's going to be like an at least a nix bloom ancient level card in edh it's a mythic it's a somerset mythic i want to own a lot of this i've got bricks like a hundred copies of the non-foils i've got handfuls of the extended arts and foil extended arts bought them in europe got them cheap they're going to be winners um i'm going to sell the higher end versions you know online and through social media and then i'm going to buy list the rest so, for me to call it out, do I have a conflict of interest? Yes, but it's stated. the the conflict and the conflict of interest is potential conflict. Just because somebody owns something doesn't automatically mean that what they the the logic surrounding that pick is invalidated. And keep in mind that the idea that you think I'm trying to get you to buy cards from somewhere is often not even my out. Like a lot of the time, if I have a big stack of something, it's going to a buy list. So it literally has nothing to do <laughs> with you. The only question is whether you agree that that card is great and you also want to send some into a buy list. I, I, I strongly believe that MTG Finance is most effective um, in, in some ways when you shut up and tell nobody anything. Now, there is some counter to that because networking effects are very useful, like having partners overseas and people that you've done favors for, etc. So they do favors back for you. That can be very valuable. But there are, you know, big sharks in the MTG finance world that make very little noise, never make content, and swim in the shadows and are much better at this than we are and make a lot more money than, than we do. and But don't really do anything to help anybody ever. And that's a strategy of theirs specifically. Now, I personally find that boring. I Making money alone in the shadows is very boring if this wasn't all like half social half finance i would be much less interested in it i think you feel a little differently but that's definitely where i sit
1: uh i mean sort of i mean if i was really that cutthroat about it i wouldn't be here talking about this i mean the fact that i do the podcast means that i place value on doing this and being in the community in a face and getting to talk to people on Twitter and why have you like that. I clearly put value on this. Um, and I agree. Like I wouldn't go through all this if I was strictly looking to profit as much as I could. Um, so anyway, but I mean, yeah, it's, we got to wrap this up, man. Yeah.
0: I mean, to, to wrap it up, I think the, where I end on all of this, Uh, feedback from this one listener is that I I think he has failed himself in some ways in terms of how he's interpreting information that he thinks he has the inside track on when in fact he's missing a lot of facets of, of the jewel. And, you know, part of it is that he's just, he's not inside pro trader. Like this is not a pro trader that's speaking to us and doesn't get the regular day to day help that most traders would get from me and other people uh, that help run that community that sees all the stuff we do for people all the time. Um, so so that's one facet. But I also think that there, it is additionally um, relevant that there are lots more people listening to us that probably feel the same way. Like we have several thousand people listen every week and what percentage of them listen with a, yeah, those guys are shysters, but occasionally they give me some good good tips. Kind of attitude. I would be very curious to see those percentages because it's probably a lot more people than we realize. And figuring out how to communicate effectively to those people uh, would have a lot of value because they could they could be captured as as members of the community and help each other. The, the bigger that community gets, the stronger it gets. So, figuring out how to uh, Break through the fog of war, as it were, um, and make sure that the filters that are being run against what we say are uh, effective and useful
1: um, certainly has value. We really need SoundCloud to release their uh, their new stat dashboard that shows how many people listen to us with a sneer on their face (laughs) and makes not how many snide comments they mutter under their breath while they're listening. Yeah, Uh,
2: that
1: that, that would be that would be
0: helpful information. All
1: right. Oh, uh, where's the end of this thing uh, where can our listeners find you James
0: you guys can find me on Twitter at MDG critic as well as via my occasional articles on MDG price.com here every week on this podcast and constantly haunting the pro trader discord helping out our community
1: and I am Travis Allen I am on Twitter at wizard bump and B U M P I N also like to remind our listeners to check out the
0: MDG price.com pro trader service uh the gentleman, aforementioned gentleman complained that we shill too hard now. I, I think that part's actually totally true, because for just seven ninety nine a month or seventy nine ninety nine per month, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money. Playing Magic the Gathering. I mean, what can I tell you? We're running a business; we do <laughs> need to market occasionally, so <laughs> that's what that's all about.
1: It is true. Uh, and once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic: The Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code Finance Five during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save five percent off your order and support this podcast. Which brings us to the end of episode two forty-two. Uh, another good one. Our show's bad, but that's okay. You guys enjoy it, and we'll be back with another bad show where we talk our own books next week.
0: You can have a good episode in the bad show. Uh, This is true. Thank you, Travis. We'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finds.